This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can on this program to help you live longer and love stronger. My friends, have we got a great show for you to for you coming up in just a minute? Sir uh, Kerry Cooper will be joining us. Yes, uh, somebody that has been knighted. Sir Kerry Cooper will be joining us, and he's going to be talking about work emails that actually make you, uh, let's just say, stupid. According to our guest, we'll be talking about uh, the impact that your email may have on some of the results you're getting. We'll get to that in just a few minutes, but before. We uh, we dive too deeply into our work emails. Let's uh, let's check on, in with Terry. Find out what's going on around the world. Terry, any news? Any any important stories? We just got to talk about. There's all kinds of important stories. Have you heard of? Uh, have you ever had a desire to go to space? No. You don't want to be an astronaut. Never. Never as a kid. Uh, yeah, a little bit as a kid, but then you know. You grow out of that. Yeah, I grew out of it. Like you want to be a firefighter yeah. or a police officer. You know why? I don't like Tang. Okay, I think they've moved beyond that. Oh, oh, have they? Yeah, they might have something more, more developed than Tang. Okay, though yeah. Tang is pretty good. I mean, it is. It's just so sugary. It's a high quality breakfast drink. <laughs> That's right. If you've ever had a test at the hospital where they make you drink that, the dye. And oh the, yeah, 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 yeah. So it reminds me of Tang. Really? I've actually never had that, but I've seen my wife drink it. Ugh. Bah. Turns everything blue. Yeah. No, it actually turns it all. I don't know what it turns it. But I mean, I guess on the the yeah, uh, on the scan, the scanner all comes yeah, out probably blue. Probably does, yeah. Iridium or something. Yeah. Tang. That's why you got to watch out for it. Oh, New ideas about Tang. So wh- why? So why do you ask? We have an astronaut from our country named Scott Kelly. Yeah. Yes. He is in the International Space Station. He is he is living on that the space station for he's been there for two hundred nineteen or so days. Right. As the writing of the the information I have here. Um, he, he, it's, it's part of his year long mission. He's going to spend one year in space. Wow. The whole point is we're preparing at some point to go to Mars. Yeah. But we don't know what weightlessness and zero gravity does to the human body over a prolonged period of time. So you put him up there, he floats around, he's on TV. I mean, he's, you can watch him, I think on the NASA channel. Yeah. On your, your, he just, and he's just. He's just hanging out up there. He he gets on there and talks. He did some Halloween type things, and he sent some videos to scare people. And I mean, pretty much everything that happens down here, he's up there commenting on, and and he's having this back and forth with you know ground control, I guess you call it. <laughs> so I guess my question is, do you think he still feels isolated, even though he has a lot of contact? Yeah, he does. Don't you think that would be weird? I mean, everyone's watching you. You can't do anything without, you know, 15 people knowing it. Right. At yeah. all hours of the day, someone's monitoring yeah. you. But there's probably a difference between that and being, like, connected to people, you know? Like, yeah. it's just, you can be in your house with your family and nobody, you still have some privacy. Even when he goes to the restroom, they're all like, uh, yeah, I'll, so where's Scott? <laughs> oh, Scott's going to the bathroom. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott, we need to know uh, how many ounces you evacuated from your body. Oh boy. Okay. Well, here we go. I mean, that it's like so. I I think it that's got to impact his head. Is he married? Do we know? Um, I don't know much information about him personally. Because what a big honestly, that is a seriously 
big contribution. He's going to be gone for one year. Imagine if you're married. Imagine your kids, you know, do they call every day and say, hey, dad, because it's such a that's such a sacrifice. Just Skype for breakfast, right? Yeah. And just think of that. I mean, even a Skype just isn't. When was the last time he got a hug? I mean, I guess other astronauts, when they come to the space station, they'll hug on him. I don't know. I think that would be so Yeah, he's not completely alone up there. There's other people rotating through, but he's just going to stay. Have you seen Martian? Not yet. No, I haven't. Oh, you got to see Martian. Talk about that would be lonely right there. Um, But And then eventually you just end up talking to yourself. So it says that Kelly was born in New Jersey. He uh, went to West Orange. He's in that community. Yeah. If you know where that is. No. He went to, there's his high school. He, he has an identical twin named Mark. Oh, my heavens. So that would be interesting is to study his identical twin versus him after he gets back. And I see. wonder if that's why they are doing the study. Maybe. He is divorced and has two daughters. He has yeah. a long-term relationship with uh, another woman. His sister-in-law is Gabrielle Giffords, the former congresswoman from Arizona. I believe she was the one that was shot. Oh, that's right. I wonder if Mark is the other astronaut. That would be maybe the that he's an astronaut too. The husband. So I've, there you go. Interesting. So we've 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 learned something more about Scott Kelly today. That's so, cool. Uh, the commander had such a good time uh, getting in the Halloween spirit from space, but now there's much a much bigger occasion to celebrate Monday, which was last week. Marks 15 straight years of human presence aboard the space station. Wow. The 16-man crew of U.S., Russian, and Japanese astronauts will commemorate the anniversary with a special dinner. The uh, self and the Associated Press, since November 2nd of 2000, 220 astronauts from 17 countries have taken up home in the orbiting lab. Collectively, they've eaten more than 26,500 meals. Wow. Let's hope at least some of them looked more appealing, and then they had a picture of this cheeseburger thing that they eat. You've seen some of the astronaut food. But did, did they have any tang? I, I'm not sure. They don't really have a full coverage on the availability of <laughs> we tank. Need, it's not a space trip without tank. That's just what I know. And so, is he – so that's interesting because – so when he comes back, let's say they find out that man can't stay in space for longer than a year. Yeah. That's going to blow a lot of minds. That's going to blow up pretty much every mission. So then the question is, do we have to stay in a pressurized suit the entire time to Mars? What is that? You know, there's just, you have to try to figure out a new problem, a new hurdle to get by. And I guess radiation levels have got to be, I guess, fairly normal, but it seems like they wouldn't be. I don't know. And maybe maybe they have to figure out artificial gravity. Hmm. In in all the movies, you just rotate and that's how you do it. You just spin the whatever vessel you're in. That's right. And then they don't address the whole issue. So right. they just so that, that's well, why it's spinning. It, we we have gravity. That's why they need more <laughs> that's why they need more movies up there. So that we can show NASA how to do it right. I don't know because most of the movies that have to deal with being in space are disaster movies. That's like true. you may want not want to go to the space station and watch Gravity. <laughs> not the movie you need to see. Do you think they get a watch TV? Because you'd think after a year, he's got two daughters. He's got to stay up on all the pop culture, right? He's yeah. got to watch Martian. And do you watch Martian? I don't know. Because in the movie Martian, they intercept, I think. Don't ruin it. Okay. <laughs> it's just really good. You really need to look into it. It's a great movie. But it's a disaster movie. Um, on ish, some level, but it's it's a pretty cool. And then movie. it's a survival and yeah. power of the human yeah. spirit. Blah 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 blah. Save yeah, a soul. 
just one guy, one all guy. these people, all this money to right. save one guy. Yeah, it's worth it. It's, it's I've been told it's a great movie. Yeah, you got to see that. That's the movie. That's the movie you should be investing in. Not James Bond or Star Wars. I mean, you can invest in those, but you're like yeah. you're really investing. You're throwing your money way ahead of their release. So that's that's like well, that's how much I'm anticipating. Yeah, those. If I would have read the book The Martian, maybe I would anticipate the movie The Martian. Yeah, but you never saw the Bugs Bunny Martian. I saw that one, Marvin. That's what he, they didn't have him on the movie. He wasn't on the movie, uh-uh. but he was the original Martian. I know he wasn't there. No, nope, Hollywood failing us again. Yeah, letting us down <laughs> one movie at a time. Yeah, I don't know that I could do that, and I think I would probably go crazy. And then even when you're calling and talking to your girls back home, yeah, you're still being monitored. Yes. So it's like you're just it's it's got to be different. Well, I mean, it's neat for the kids. Yeah, my dad's in space. Yeah, I mean, sure, we're not going to see dad for a year, but well, you will. Every what does day. your dad do for a living? Oh, mine's just in a space station. Yeah, breaking records. Jimmy's dad's an accountant. His yeah. dad's a lawyer. My dad's in space. Jerry's a milkman. <laughs> I mean, it's like, how do you compete? There's no topping that. And, but bring your dad to work day. I mean, you, you can yeah. bring your dad to school. He just Skypes in. Well, that would take probably a lot of effort from NASA. Yeah. But they probably did it. I bet they do it. They're all about, Those you girls know, deserve it. education that way. So That's cool. Man, thank heaven someone's willing to do it. Uh, I have some people I'd love to send there. I'd like to send you to space. <laughs> yeah. We'll find somebody to send up there. Anyway, interesting um, interesting stuff. And it, it kind of brings back our next guest uh, down to earth, I guess. Work emails. Um, it, would you believe that they may be actually making you more stupid? They're slowing us down, folks. They They might be decreasing your efficiency. They might be taking you off focus. So we've uh, we've put together a really great interview that we're going to pick up in, in uh, after this break with Sir Kerry Cooper. It's an interview we did a few months ago, um, but it's a must-hear type of interview. So stick with us. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Sir Kerry Cooper about your work emails and how they're impacting your intellect. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in 1971, Ray Tomlinson developed that, the code that allowed him to send an email between two computers. This program has now spread and morphed into something that he never could have imagined. Emailing has changed the way we do business and even live our lives today. But are we emailing too much? What is all this email doing to our personal relationships, to our family life? Today we've uh, we've got a wonderful expert joining us uh, today, uh, Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, a distinguished professor of organizational psychology and health at Lancaster University Management School in Lancaster University in the UK. He's also the chair of the Academy of Social Sciences. He happened to just go present one paper on social media and its impact on work-life balance. And from there, he created quite a stir about email, and, uh, you know, we've, we wanted to talk to him about it. Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, good to meet you, Matt. Great to have you on the show. Now, we have to just address the title, Sir. So you have, you have been knighted? Yeah, I'm a dual citizen. I'm an American. I was at um, 
I did my uh, MBA, my undergraduate degree, my MBA at UCLA. I'm a, from L.A. I'm an L.A. boy. Oh, great. And I came over to England uh, over 45 years ago to uh, to come for a year and ended up doing a Ph.D. here and have never left. Did you really? So I'm uh, and I became a British citizen about 25 years ago and I was knighted by the Queen last year. How congratulations. What an honor. Thank you. There can't be a, so there can't be a lot of. Those American British citizens, right, that no, are knighted. There are not many. There are not many. I'm very, very proud of it. Well, that is that. All my family, of course, are dual citizens, so all my kids are British and American. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, we we appreciate you joining us. And this topic no is real. You were just putting together a paper, right, a, pr- a presentation for a conference, and then I, I yeah. guess some of your comments about email created a little firestorm. A little bit. Well, what I was doing is I, it was the British Psychological Society, the equivalent of the American Psychological Association. So the British Psychological Society's annual conference, I gave a keynote address, and I was talking about mental well-being in the workplace. How do we enhance our well-being, reduce the stress levels, and talking about the research on it. Yeah. And one of the things I mentioned in the talk was an hour talk to an audience of probably about 1,000 people was, you know, just the fact that electronic overload, that emails were actually, were supposed to be our social support system to help us in our work. And what they've become is a major source of stress because people are now overloaded, totally overloaded. And it's because the technology is managing us and we're not managing it. So, for example, um, people are now CCing and everybody else on emails. So we're getting tons of emails. People are not telling people who they send emails to the priority of it. People are dumping emails on you. That's one element. So it's about a work overload element. But the second, and I think really worrying element, is the fact that they are now all pervasive, that they were looking at our emails all day long. So if you go to a restaurant in the UK and you see a family sitting at a table, uh, you know, a husband, a wife, or partners, and two kids, what you're going to see is them all looking at their smartphone. Oh, yeah. Don't you hate and that? they're not talking to one another. Right. And, and they're accessing it at home at night, and they're accessing it at the weekends. You see them on holidays doing that. So actually, work has intruded into people's private life. And we have no idea the long-term impact of this, right? I mean, we're, we barely have enough data on it. No, we don't. I mean... There is some research on electronic overload, and funny enough, I'm working with a a professor in in management information systems to look at this as an area and try to collect all the the science that's been done. But there's not a hell of a lot of science on it, actually. Oh, yeah. But we know, everybody knows, and the fact I just mentioned it in this one conference was picked up by all the media. We're Mm -hmm. in the, you know, the the Times and the Mm -hmm. Daily Mail. All the media were in my, my talk, and that's the thing they picked up on. And it went viral globally. And it's because we all know it. I mean, we almost don't need the science. No. We already know that emails intrude in our private lives. It's intuitive. Yeah, it's intuitive. And I think the other element, which kind of troubles me, is even within a workplace, uh, what you get is you have people sending emails to somebody four desks down or one floor up. So true. So we're avoiding each other, really. Well, they're doing it because it's easy. But what they're failing to do is that is not good for team building. It's not good for communications. It's really not good full stop for organizations to have it. In fact, in Britain, there are a number of organizations, public and private sector bodies, who are banning emails 
within the same building. Really? So you cannot. If you want, yeah. if you want to, you have to go to the guy the next floor up and talk to them and bring your file with you <laughs> rather than send it by email. You're going to make me move? I mean, really, just, we, we're going to have a guest a little bit later. That's, oh, he, his, his goal is always to have us standing more and moving more. Just the health benefits of everyone having to go talk to each other exactly. would change everything. By the way, he's, you're absolutely right. I think that's another critical element of it. It's about team building. It's about physicality. Yeah. It's about kind of getting up and everything else. There are even – there's several companies and a couple in the U.S. now – who have decided that because they keep giving guidelines, a lot of senior management say to their staff, here's what we want you to do. We don't want you to access your emails at the weekend unless it's urgent. We want you really not to do it too much at night when you get home, you know, work-related emails. Yeah, yeah. Just forget about it. Rest, recuperate. And because they're not hearing the message, there are companies now shutting off their server at night and over the weekend. Yeah, you're not accessing work. Stop people accessing their emails. So I think we've got to learn how to manage it better. I think we have to do something because it's taking us over. I love that idea. I mean, and it's I mean, it's extreme, but there are some people that will never stop. And and I do a lot of work with couples. And, you know, a lot of times we think that, you know, divorce is not impacting my business life, but it entirely is. So if I if I don't have healthy relationships at home, it's going to impact my work life. And yet my work life is also impacting my home relationships. It's a big system, isn't it? No, no, you're right. It is a vicious circle because it's certainly the case that if you go home and you say, oh, well, you know, because it's so easy, isn't it? Sure. With a smartphone, with an iPhone or some other smartphone, it's so easy. Just say, well, just take a look. The minute you take a look and you see an email, you say, well, don't worry, dear. I'll be back in 15 minutes. I've got got to deal with this. Then you start, and then how about your kids who say, "Hey, Dad, um, you know, help me with my math. Uh, just one minute. I'll have to. Uh, I'll be there in twenty minutes. I just mm-hmm. got to deal with this email." And and I think it's become very disruptive to people's personal lives. Great technology, we need it. I'm not a luddite saying yeah. you should dump it. I'm just saying let let's manage the technology rather than let it manage us. Yeah, we, we need to we need to take it over again. We're talking with Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, uh, who really just to me, I love it that something as simple as, you know, you know, talking honestly about emails and the impact they're having on our work life balance would create such a stir. But uh, he's teaching us some pretty interesting information that we already know in our hearts. But we, we need some more tools, I think. Let's take a break. We'll come back more with Professor Sir Kerry Cooper and uh, hopefully get some more ideas for how, how we turn it off a little bit more. What are some rules we should be using with our own email management and uh, what we could bring to our companies to make email a healthier part of our work life, not something that uh, slowly tears us apart emotionally, physically. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Taking care of business. Checking your email. The funny thing about it is we set our emails to go off every time you get one. Are you kidding me? 
So if you get 100 emails a day, your phone's going to vibrate 100 times? You better answer it. That little distraction is going to take you minutes to get back on track. Uh, joining us is uh, Professor Sir Kerry Cooper um, from Lancaster University uh, Management School in Lancaster University in the UK. He uh, is the author of a book or of an article, Work Email is Making Us a Generation of Idiots, Time to Switch Off. And that comes from a quote Albert Einstein once wrote. He said, I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction. The world will then have a generation of idiots. <laughs> but you know what? It's so true. Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, welcome back to the show. Yeah, he he was uh, he could foresee it, couldn't he? Yeah, he totally that was could. Great foresight. He didn't foresee emails. No, <laughs> he would yeah. have been decimated by that. Yeah, can you imagine? But I mean, but we are becoming kind of idiotic, even in just how we respond to it. Like it is our master. Oh, it is totally. I mean, there are things I think we can do, Matt. Okay, yeah. so let me let me tell you some of the things I think we could. Do. Yes. Number one, we should never CC in other people unless they're absolutely fundamental to the email. But because everybody's trying to cover their backside, yeah, exactly. what they tend to do is copy in everybody in the workplace, you know, uh, let their boss know what they're doing. Look how hard their, I'm working, you know, yeah. Uh, their boss's boss know what they're doing, everybody, even if it's irrelevant directly to them. Yeah. So I think if we all said, okay, no CCing in anybody unless they're directly implicated in what this is all about. Hmm. That's one. Love it. Second thing is, I think, when we send emails to other people, we should tell the other people the priority of it. So say, for instance, the other day I got, say, 60 emails. I was in a meeting for two or three hours, two and a half hours, and I got 60 emails in that period of time. So because I didn't know what the priority of it was, I knew most of the people who'd done it. It wasn't spam because I have a spam filter anyway. Yeah, yeah. I had to open up every email. Now, if I had got an email from Fred and it would have said really high priority, high priority being I need your response today. And you know today. who Fred is. So if Fred's your boss and you have a high priority, Fred boom, is. you know exactly so where if, it fits. You know, there'll be situations in which I won't know him. Right. But if it's all people that you know and you work with on a regular basis, if they said it's high priority or medium priority, defining that as – I need a response today. I don't need a response for the next couple days. I don't need a response for a week. Hmm. Or this is just informational. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, so that way we can do what we used to do. When we got snail mail, when we got letters, what we would do is most people who were reasonably effective managers of their, of their work would, you know, uh, prioritize it. With, right. the, with that stack I have to deal with today, the next stack I have to – well, we have to do the same. And – the other option, of course, is just to print off all your emails and stack them up, but that's taking time, too. Yeah, exactly. So I think the best thing is we, we need that to, to happen as well. I think the notion that nobody should be able to – nobody should send an email to the same person, to people in their office building, unless the building's a 30-story building. <laughs> yeah, right. story building. With a really if slow elevator. a two- right. or three-story building – Good to get up and walk anyway. Yeah. Very important eyeball-to-eyeball interaction. Good for team building. Do not allow emails to be sent to anybody in the same building. Well, see, and I – you know what's um, interesting? I like sending emails because I don't want to interrupt the person. But in reality, it's, it is making me so I don't 
I don't get to know people. I don't have a relationship, a one-on-one, an eye-to-eye. I'm not learning. I'm not exactly. strengthening those skills. Yeah, in, in, indeed, I think there are sometimes as well, if you've got a difficult problem with somebody, right? Yeah. And we all do, whether it's a customer or a patient or a student or whoever, a colleague, a work colleague or a boss, the worst thing you can do is send an email. If there's any difficulty in the relationship or the thing you're talking about is kind of personal and difficult, you should always do that on a telephone or eyeball to eyeball. You should never, ever do that sort of thing by email. It's just not a good way to, to respond. And also, that applies to companies. Companies should never send difficult messages to employees Mm. by email. So a difficult message might be, we're being taken over. Yeah. Uh, You know, there'll be some job losses. Uh, You know, why why you should never do things like that by email. Or 10% of people are going to be, in Britain, we call it being made redundant. That means job loss. Oh, boy. You know, it, it does. No it reminds me of like yeah. an office segment, uh, you know, whether it's the whether it was, your, you know, the, the the show, the television show, The, the Office. Original, the original yeah, Office. From one, England. I know. Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Like, it reminds me of that. And I think, I mean, we, we it's almost like we're surprised by this technology. It's kind of taking over. But you're, you're an organizational behavior guy. This is something that as a company we should control like we could easily do training on what our protocols for ranking an email are you know what i mean like yeah, what's we, the one two we three could do all the, you're, matt you're absolutely right we could do all the training on these areas but we don't no and sometimes you get a company with guidelines but nobody ever reads them so what they do is they email you the guidelines <laughs> exactly here are the guidelines the irony please read it Here's it's, it's important you follow but people are so bloody busy doing their emails yeah oh that's the other thing so you meet somebody. Uh, I, I meet people at, at not only in my university but in the workplace because I do research in big companies. And I'll say, so what did you do today, you know, just to open a conversation as I'm ready to interview them for some work I'm doing on stress. And they'll say, well, I had a really good day. I was able to manage to do all my emails. I said, no, no, I didn't ask you that. I said, what did you do today? Huh. What did you produce? What did you write? What did you do? Yeah. Not emails. Emails is not doing work. You know what? But it's, that's it. To do work. It's almost that's the illusion, isn't it? Because we are yeah. killing ourselves answering our emails, and yet it's probably stealing real production. It's taking away. It's stealing real time. Yeah. Which is the other thing. Should you have pings on your, your computer or your your smartphones telling you when you're getting an email? And the answer is no, you shouldn't. Right. Because all that's going to do is make you curious about who contacted you and stop you doing work. I've even seen people just schedule. Okay, so at at 9, I will check my email. And at noon, I will check my email. And at 3, I will check my email. That's That's a smarter idea. And then we have the other problem, which you don't have in the U.S. because the Americans don't tend to take holidays. But in Europe, we have between four and six. Each country mm-hmm. has slightly different. But the minimum a country in Europe would take would be four weeks off on holiday. Right. Like in July or in August or six weeks. In the U.K., most people have holidays that are four to six weeks long. Now, unlike the Americans who maybe have a max of two weeks, right. and most of them don't take it anyway, yeah. which is wrong in and of itself, by the way. Yeah. Makes, makes the Americans less productive, in my view. Yeah. Uh, but but the problem we now have is because people are actually doing if you the surveys are showing that people are doing 
uh, their emails while they're on holiday because it's so easy to do it on their smartphones or take a laptop. Ugh. Yeah, and, and that, that that just ruins everything. The point is, you're supposed to spend personal disposable time with your kids, your loved one. Da 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 da. da. Well, and that shakes up your and head, right? That takes you. It I mean, shakes your head up. That's and great. what if you get an email that says something something serious has gone wrong with the project you're involved in? Are you going to relax the rest of the week? Mm-mm. No. You're stuck. So it's, it's going to cause you tension while you're on holiday with your family. So that's the thing we have to learn how to control. I thought of an interesting technology that we could use. I don't know what? why somebody hasn't thought of it. But what about this? What about uh, having a software that alerts you when you're working at night or at weekends and you could, con- you could work for holidays too. You could fit it in with holidays where if you do a few emails on a Friday night at 8 o'clock, it comes back to you and says, why don't you spend time with your yeah. family and friends? Get a life, idiot. Get kind a of a thing. <laughs> but really, we that, need something we do. ping we, us that says, what the hell are you doing yeah, on a Friday we would night respond. at 8 o'clock That's right. sending work-related emails? That's, I, mean, I, have, I have seen people, though, send an email at 2 in the morning. And you're like, oh, yeah. what? But it's, there's, almost, there's almost kind of a, like a psychic income that people get. Their psyches are stroked because look how hard I'm working. But in reality, exactly. you're dysfunctional. You're not even... It, it's what we used to say in the old days before we had computers and emails. It was jacket on the back of the chair syndrome. Mm-hmm. You, you leave your jacket in the office. Yeah. You go home, but everybody thinks you're still just going, <laughs> I get something to eat, and you're going to come back to work. Effectively, we, the, we have the electronic version of that, which is sending an email at 10 o'clock so at night. true. We're speaking with Professor exactly. Sir Kerry Cooper, uh, again, from Lancaster University Management School in Lancaster University in the U.K. He is um, a distinguished professor of organizational psychology. Does this – I mean, this doesn't go away, Professor Sir Carey, unless we do something different, right? We have to own it. We have to lead it. I think so. I mean, I don't think you're going to get companies shutting off servers at night right. and over weekends. They just won't do that. Uh, and there are – uh, there's a major investment bank that you know, an American one in London, which has told all their employees at the weekends, do not access your work emails. Mm. We don't want you to unless you're in a major international merger and acquisition deal or something like that. Yeah. But if you're not involved in a deal, don't do it. I think you can – not, we're not going to shut the servers off. So, and, and employers are realizing there's a lot of downtime. So we have employers here who have – forbid intranet emails within the same building, but they'll never shut the servers. Mm -mm. And they do give guidelines. Many companies are starting to give rough guidelines, very rough. Um, But I think ultimately it's us. We have to manage our time better. We have to get better balance in our lives. Number one, while we're at work, really we have to get on and do things, create things. Whatever we do, we're mainly in the U.S. is basically a service-based economy, knowledge-based economy, um, just like the most of Western Europe. A lot of, a lot of the heavy manufacturing has gone to the Far East. So, given that, you know, we have to manage our time properly, to the extent that uh, we say to ourselves, um, "Look at what I want to do is get this job done, invent that, create that, produce that." do that, and say to myself, maybe three times a day I'll access my email. Mm -hmm. Also, when I send an email to somebody, I'm going to say how important it is. 
also, I'm not going to copy in the whole world <laughs> and every boss I've ever had uh, and all of that. I think we just have to learn ourselves how to do it and manage it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so my kids, I have uh, kids in London. And when I go have dinner with a couple of them in London, um, you know, I noticed one one about two years ago. We're all sitting there looking at our smartphones. I know. During a no, meal. I know. How how but your I said, kids that's are? It. I'm are, not paying for this meal ever again. <laughs> if any of us do it, and that includes me. So I know. We all shut it off now. Well, I have we teens. I have teenagers. That the minute we all sit down at a restaurant, foink, all the phones come out. And, Absolutely. And I sit there and I think, well, what's the future of this? Is I mean, eventually, I guess we could just Skype in dinner. We could just. You know, conference call it exactly. in. Don't you think it's sad? Because it I mean, the whole important point of having a family is we're supposed to relate to one another, yeah. invest in one another, listen to one another, connect. Kids need us listening to them. Yeah, and uh, and, and I and when I go to restaurants, I see very little of it now. Very little interaction. Well, it's almost like the busyness has taken over, and we get more value apparent from apparent busyness than from real results, which is what you were just telling us. If we are at work yep. getting real results. It should buy us the freedom to not answer that email in the middle of the weekend because I'm a producer. I don't I'm not going to produce for you in the middle of the weekend, but you, you still can try to interrupt me. It's so exactly. interruptive is really what it is. Oh, it is. It's totally disruptive. And you lose concentration of listening to other people, which is really quite important in relationships. And ultimately, investing in relationships both in the workplace and outside is important for all of us. I mean, if you think about it, if we're basically a service-based economy, uh, you don't need even broadcasting. You could have an ISDN line at home. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You don't even need to uh-uh. be in an office now. No. You could, I could Nobody be sitting, yeah, be, in my pajamas. You could be sitting at home. I could be sitting at That's home. Right. I could be Skyping in my lectures. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be in an Why are we coming into an office? Because we need the social interaction, and we, as human beings, we need it. And yet the technology is kind of moderating that and getting in the way. Yeah, keeping us from actually having the relationships. It is, it is keeping us from having the relationship. One of the benefits of my job, I also have, I do a lot of coaching, relationship coaching, communication stuff. So a lot of yeah. people expect me, they expect to maybe email me and maybe think they might get a hold of me. But um, I think they also respect when I don't reply. Because yeah. they're, they're like, know that, oh, yeah, look at him, he walks his talk. But a lot of it is, I'm not going to do it because it just... It's, I don't know. Yeah, I just feel like well, it's, it's interfering theft. with you. I mean, you have to set limits. It's yeah. like if you're trying to coach somebody and get them to, you know, whatever the, their problem is, you know, you're trying to help them set limits for mm-hmm. themselves. Exactly. Well, if you set a limit and say, listen, I'm a coach Monday to Friday till five o'clock, that's it. I'm right. off. I interviewed a chief exec of a major UK company. This was about 20 years ago. I mean, a big, big, not UK company, global company, yeah. but it was UK based. Big one and really great guy. And I'll never forget. And, and he said to me, I said, this is a killer job. I mean, you have plants all over the world in the U.S. and China and everywhere. I mean, how do you have a family life? He says, I'll tell you what I do. I, said, I leave. I kill myself Monday to Friday. I'm prepared to work long hours. At Friday at five o'clock, I've told everybody in the office, unless a plant's burning down in Delaware <laughs> or in Beijing. Yeah. I am not accessible. You do not call me up under any circumstances uh, until Monday morning. 
That's great. And that's the way he lived his life. A very yeah. successful guy. Well, and you look at the expectation he set. Everybody was clear. If there was an emergency, exactly. they probably know exactly how they could have communicated it. Exactly. And then he, you know, he could check his phone once a day. Yeah, I think if you know, I think it's really quite important to do that. And uh, love it. I try my best to do it, but sometimes I get carried away. Like I'll be on a holiday with my family in Portugal, and then I keep my mobile phone on in case because I have kids all over the. I have four yeah. kids, so in case somebody else calls me up or something. But I'll get a phone call, and it might be a journalist saying, well, the BBC saying, could I call, talk about something? Mm-hmm. So I can only do it on my mobile. And I do it for five minutes, and then I feel guilty as hell. And then you got to get back to your you know kids. What I mean? Yeah. I said, you yeah. know, but they're sitting by the pool. So I, the justification I use is, well, they're by the pool. Yeah. It's only five minutes, and it's not going to disturb me because it's not going to make me worry about something mm-hmm. at work. If it was a work-related one, I'd ignore it. Yeah. But, I mean, again, totally. too, that's also part of your purpose, your mission. So, I mean, a little yeah. is fine, I guess. It's just – but you're also leading it, I guess, is the point. Most of us just let it just keep happening and happening. If you just let every journalist that wants you get you, then you're going to be trapped as well. So, Yeah, you're right. And in life generally, you just have to just manage it. People are quite happy if you say to them, funny enough now, in at least in Europe – if you say, I'm sorry, I can't have that meeting at 6 o'clock because I have to be home with my family or my mm-hmm. grandchild or my daughter, they accept that now. Yeah. Do they really? But funny enough, 20 years ago, they wouldn't have. Right. No, right. I you think know, we're – yeah. I, I think that would, that would be weird in the U.S., I think, still. But I mean, yeah, but, the U.S. is – the U.S. is – I mean, being a dual citizen, being born in the U.S. or raised in the U.S., you know, and being an American, I mean, I, I think the U.S. is too workaholic, oh, way is. too workaholic. It, 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 the hours that, that the U.S., that American workers work is just too long. And there's no evidence, incidentally, this is the organizational psychologist in me. There's no evidence that if you work long hours, you're more productive. No. There is tons of evidence. I even wrote a book on it with a colleague from Canada, which is uh, an edited book. We took all the best science in the world. It's called The Long Working Hours Culture. And we have found that if you consistently work long hours, you will get ill. <laughs> it will it'll make you ill. So it is good for getting you ill, making you sick. It's not good oh, for getting good. results. You consistently work long hours, great for you to get ill. <laughs> but the American mindset is long is good, right. it's effective, it's, it's productive. And, and it, it will pay off. There's no evidence that shows that. Right, right. Well, Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, we appreciate you. And I, I love your energy on it and your insight. I also, I mean, come on, a dual citizen, a, a, knighted, a knighted American. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm really quite proud because my parents, of course, my father was Russian. My mother was Romanian. I bet my they were proud. Russian, Ukrainian. My mother was R- Romanian. So I was first generation American. Wow. And I'm just proud, you know, as an American to have been honored by this country. Well, it also tells life. you you're living, you're living, you know the principles you're getting results and you're you're still able to get holidays yep i certainly do well we appreciate you and keep up the great work i can hardly wait to see more of your uh your your articles that set off the uh, fire appreciate you talking you you. too carrie take care my friend truly uh it's what it takes folks you have to have a belief just like he was demonstrating of what's right family if that's what motivates you Make the space for it. Even if it's just having friends or a healthy life, whatever you've got, we got to start managing our technology, folks. Eventually, it's going to own us. 
We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. More right after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Love that. Uh, love that topic. Sir Kerry Cooper, for heaven's sakes. You know, it's it's technology, folks. It's not the master. You are the master. You are the agent here. We've got to figure out how to use it. One of the things I found, though, is you already know you're going to have vacation time. You already know you're going to have dinner tonight. You already know certain things that are so constant and consistent in your life. Can I just suggest do what you can to get, uh, for example, you don't have to tell everybody even where you're going. So if you have a family event tonight or you just want to get home to be with your family and somebody schedules a meeting at five o'clock, you don't need to say, oh, you know what? I've got family at five. Sorry, I've got to go see my family. You might feel embarrassed or weird about saying that, but you could just simply say, you know what? I've got something really important scheduled, so can't do that. And most of the time I found nobody cares. Nobody cares because everybody is kind of so worried about their own lives and their own schedules. They're not going to get too worried about yours. Now, if every appointment you can't make, that's going to be a little different. But let's just start using technology in a way to actually um, be additive to our relationships. But whenever you can, get up and talk to the person eye to eye. Uh, Try not to be interruptive. You don't need to interrupt. You could just catch them when they're walking in the hall somewhere. I've done that with our boss, Don. Caught him right in the walk into the bathroom. And we had a 20-minute conversation, and he never got to go to the restroom. It was really sad. I felt bad for him. Anyway, it's technology, folks. Um, But it's also just conscientiousness. We need a little bit more conscientiousness. You may remember a few days ago, we talked about a hero, um, a Georgia man named Michael Hammonds. He was a 46-year-old veteran. I don't know if you remember the story, but he saw a dog inside of a Mustang parked at a shopping center, and he was worried that the temperature in the vehicle was getting too hot, if you remember. So he kind of uh, took it under his own... um, you know, his own concern, and he went in and broke the window and got the dog out. He saved the dog's life. And so, interesting thing, uh, you know, there's all this talk about he's going to be arrested. He's going to be arrested. And he actually was arrested, and he ended up, um, they thought they were going to have to charge the guy. Well, long story short, they uh, they've they basically dropped the charges. He's not going to be charged with it. He, you know, he was really worried. There are laws that you can break a window if a child's in the car, but, you know, he, he was, it was a dog. So It seemed like he found one of those flaws in the law. Yeah. Where it's, it's the person got charged because they left their dog in the car. He tried to step in to help out the animal, but yeah. that in itself wasn't covered in any sort of— That was kind of a free—yeah, it, it was just a floating— no, no, no one finished the loop on the good Samaritan who tries to help the animal who it's illegal that it's in the in the car anyways. And so, yeah. They, so it's cool. They're probably passed some sort of legislation to fix that. Yes. I mean, the interesting thing, 
the the month after the legislation's passed, hundreds of windows would be broken. That's right. Oh, I was helping a dog. <laughs> <laughs> every uh, you know, every heart, tender-hearted person will start just shattering windows. I thought that was a dog. Oh, it was just a pillow. Okay, sorry. Oh, my sorry. bad. My bad. That was a real looking pillow. Anyway, it's cool. It's cool that he's off too. So anyway, a little follow up on that story. We um, we're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, Did you ba- say I sent you an email? What? Just telling you I was back. Oh, I'd stepped out of the room. I sent you an email. I was standing right here. And oh, I, right here. Yeah, just so just, I know you're back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I actually did see that. I'm like, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know when you said. Thought it would be out. helpful to send you another email. Well, work. you know, I have these two eye things that I I saw you come back. Yeah, I understand, but he's back. I sent you an email as well that I'm I'm still here. I've been here the. Entire oh, I didn't time. get that one. Oh, okay, could you resend that? Yeah, I will. Thank you. Uh, is Michael Co- copy me on Mike that. needs Thanks. to CC me to make sure I know you're here. Okay, yeah. I'll I'll just CC everybody in on it. We're going to take a break, my friends. More fun next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This episode of the Matt Townsend Show was recorded previously. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. It's Friday, folks. You only have a few more shopping days. You better get ready. This is the weekend. You got to go get serious. This is the weekend to get serious. Wrap things up. I better start. I'm going to start this weekend. I'm shopping this weekend. I'm trying to psych myself up for it. I, I'm i not a shopper. No. I would rather have a root canal. Can you have someone shop for you? Yes. My family member? My wife. But she's sick of it. The way it kind of works for me is my wife does the shopping for the whole family. I do the shopping for her. Well, that's a good deal. That's a great deal. And I do most of that on my couch with my computer. And, yeah, that's a great... You and, know then how, and then magically it just shows up on my doorstep. No, that's like, oh, how it that. works. I, my wife does most of the shopping, like the Christmas shopping, and then I have to figure out what she what to get her, and I never... No, I never know. I don't know. Did you ask her? Yeah, and you know, she just says nothing. I get everything I want when I need it. And I, I would, I used to say, "Oh, okay." Yeah, that's what my wife kind of says. Well, then too. that didn't work. She so, got mad. You have to wait for it, 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 the hard part is it's a day in June that she'll say, "You know, oh, I really like mm-hmm. this." And if you're like, "Oh, okay, great," and but because it's June, you're not thinking. Mm-hmm. But if you would just write that down. Then come December, you'd have two or three things that she'd said all year long that she even forgot. Right. right. And and you're just the greatest husband in the world. See, exactly. Maybe she wants Ugh. the radio-controlled yeah. BB-8. Is that that little robot? The, the little robot from Star Road. Yeah, I'm pretty, sure, she wants that? I'm pretty sure she doesn't want that. You don't know. No, I do. You just said you didn't know. No, I, I know she wouldn't want that. Does she want like a robot vacuum? She's not into robots. What about a Wi-Fi-controlled robot vacuum? That, like a little a robot, yeah, Roomba. No, yeah. that no? thing would not survive at our house. Okay. It would end up... Broken. Well, I would come home and one of my kids would be riding it. <laughs> okay, like a cat, <laughs> look, right? Look, Mom, look. So, yeah. Probably not that. No. 
I, I you know what I usually do? I usually about Christmas Eve, I panic. About two in the afternoon, I panic. You're at the gas station getting beef jerky. Beef, yeah, getting Slim Jims, <laughs> and I think I wonder if she's like a Slim Jim. And I panic, and then I think I ah, and I run, and I usually go grab Cole's cash. Okay, because that's handy. Uh, yeah, that's handy. It's just a really There's nice piles of it by the door, and we're loaded. We're <laughs> filthy rich with Cole's cash. And then I go to Cole's, and I look at the mannequins. Yeah, because the okay. mannequins. By the way, this is a great trick. They know what's going on. And then I look at a mannequin, and Very I think, stylish. "Hey, do you find that mannequin attractive?" <laughs> and if I think the mannequin is attractive, and I like what the mannequin's wearing, okay, then, then I you should go see a therapist. Then I, no, no, Garrett. <laughs> Garrett. No. <laughs> then I, if I like that mannequin, then I think, okay, that could be my wife. Okay. Let's get her that. And then this is where it gets a little creepy. Then I go up to the mannequin and I try to size up the mannequin to see if like, it's about I'm, my wife's size. Like, yeah, yeah. That's. And then when security asks me to leave, <laughs> sir, what are you doing? I then it's call my daughter and ask her what size her mother is. Yeah. And then I buy that. You pretty much need to do that before you leave the house. Yeah. Got to know what the size. But I try to stay away from clothes. I know. See, I, I should accept. Because what I what I what I, else? She'll show me a catalog, and I'll say, "Hey, that that right there. That's what you should get." And she's like, "Yeah, I don't like that." Bah. I'm like, "But you would look good in that." She goes, "Eh," and she doesn't want to do that. It's like she doesn't like your taste. Sort of. That's rude. That's what I'm getting. So usually, she has. Does your wife have a store that she likes to shop for clothes at? I don't know. You don't know? I mean, really? That would be something to find out because then you could just get a gift card and you she know what? go there herself. I think it is. I think she's been sneaking, clothes buying her entire our entire marriage. Just sneaking? She or, just or sneaks just... it in the day. She'll go and she'll just come home and hang everything up and it all seems like she's already owned it. Do you just not pay attention to- I do, but okay. it's even when I see something new, I'm like, oh, that's nice. And she's like, yeah, I bought that a couple of weeks ago, a month oh. ago. But I never ask where. If you know the store, uh, I know, like I know my wife's store. Yeah, so oh, I, that's like a a failsafe. I could go there. Here well, I go. know it's Kohl's because we got cash from there. Now it just feels sort of ridiculous to get my wife a gift card with money that is basically ours <laughs> yeah. anyways. And look, I got you some of our money here. I transferred money from our account to this card. Now go spend our money that you just could have done you know, with a credit card. But whatever. It's, here's it's, here's it's, it's the thought that counts. It's Matt. totally it's the, the thought. That that's a great thought. Uh, here's what's weird. Um, Today's ugly sweater day, mm. ugly Christmas sweater day. My son needed an ugly Christmas sweater. Had a party? Yeah. Those are weird. Where do you get one? So we spent, we went to two stores last night to buy an ugly Christmas sweater. Yeah. They don't exist. There's places. Where? Novelty type stores. Yeah. No. Yeah. You, you got to plan that one early. Yeah. You have to really think about that because they are specific because when they say bad, uh, ugly Christmas sweater, there is a companies that make specific ugly sweaters. Oh, I'm sure. The, I mean, the they're joke, not making enough of them. The joke is that people would actually buy something they thought was good and it's actually ugly. Yeah. But now they're actually there's a whole line of ugly sweaters you can buy. So <laughs> So we actually just went to a store to buy a sweater that people probably think is cute. Mhm. And we were thinking it's ugly. It's really a sweat it's a sweatshirt yeah. that a 70-year-old grandma <laughs> would love. And I'm buying it for my son, and he's like, yeah, that'll do. But in my head, I'm like, that actually is a nice look. You're like, can I have that when you're done with it? Which tells me I'm getting really old. Yeah, you got to go to the thrift stores. There's a reason those sweaters are there. They may not be Christmas-themed, but 
They surely fit the other part of that description. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Hey, uh, there is a love fest going on. Have you seen this love fest between Donald Trump and uh, and Vlad Vladimir Putin? Yes, they're exchanging pleasantries and then thanking each other for yeah. pleasantries. Donald, you know, Vlad uh, loves Donald, and he called him bright, intelligent, intelligent, talented, and at the absolute leader of the presidential race. We cannot vote for Donald Trump because when Vladimir Putin is uh, no, they're, they're, this is this means the, the this is Russian good, relations. Think of the relations with Russia. It's always uh, been tense. I think oh. they're gonna. He's gonna walk in and go, Donald, great hair. I love your hair, Donald. Oh, by the way, did you hear what Donald said about his hair? What did he say? This is crazy. Oh, the but it explains it. Donald, <laughs> he he was, I guess, talking about regulations and how you can overregulate. Uh, uh, Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump says that water regulations are making it difficult for him to keep up his famed hair, his mane. He, it's hard to keep it clean. Like the regulations, it's, it, the EPA's, you know, tough regulations. Is, is it the chlorine? Is it the fluoride? What is it? No, I think it's more um, soft water versus <laughs> hard water. <laughs> it's it's so uh, I guess EPA. Waters uh, has a has an act, I guess, Waters of the United States rule. And he was talking about this rule and he said it significantly impairs his ability to rinse, lather and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he rinses, lathers and repeats? I think he has someone that does it for him. I think he sends it out. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> I think he outsources you it. You know it's about four feet long when you stretch it out. Yeah. It's all folded up in there. That's when they're that blowing works. it dry. Yeah. I'll give you one regulation, Trump said. So I build and I build a lot of stuff. I build a lot of stuff. I, have, I build a lot of it. Well, I'm a great builder. And I go into areas where they have tremendous water. And you have sinks where the water doesn't come out. You have showers where I can't wash my hair oh, properly. he's talking about water pressure. It's a disaster. It's okay. true. They have restrictions put in. The problem is you stay under the shower for five times as long. You know, let me just uh, – I'm not, I'm not a political professional. No. But I have an idea. I mean I have, a, I have a, some advice. If – let's just say the, the obvious oddity of the candidate, candidate was their hair. Let's just say that that was something okay. that people just obviously look at and it's just the obvious joke or story. I don't know that I – Keep bringing up. Stop talking about your hair is yeah. what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if, like, you, if you were a candidate that had Jeb, Jeb, one leg shorter, like right. a foot shorter than the other leg. Right. I wouldn't bring up. Like Jeb Bush and the fact that his glasses make him look kind of wall-eyed because they're yeah. magnifying. Uh-huh. His, they're making his eyeballs right, look right. three times bigger and he looks kind of weird that right, way. Right, exactly. Yeah. Don't bring it up. I mean just I wouldn't bring it up. Yeah. I would just instead embrace and love on Putin which now Trump's doing. Trump is now being really positive about Putin. He's praising Putin. Those those two need a hug. They need a bro they're 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 in a bromance. Is that what it is? That is the definition of a bromance. And again like we talked hey, about yesterday. But you did a whole coach's corner a couple of weeks ago about call, calling them bromances ruins the fact that men don't have friends. Well, I know because it's you're, discru- you're you're basically that's right. mocking the relationship. Exactly right. Two well, men we know, are showing their friendship. Yeah, but we know Donald has friends. 
Well, he says he does. We don't really know this. Well, he has Muslim friends. <laughs> he has Mexican friends. Right. He has all of these friends. I mean, and, he's offended. And some are for a band and, yeah. and for a wall. So, yeah. has, Have I told you that he's, he knows how to build a wall? That's what he said. Well, he doesn't know. He has good management. That's how Did, he said he'd get it done. Remember the cartoon? of All it is is you build like a Trump building and tip it over. Tip it over sideways. Yeah. you got a wall. Hey, uh, interesting stuff. we got a great guest coming up, too, in a minute. Lindsay McGregor will be joining us. And she is going to be talking to us about the science of motivation. So when you're building a, co- a company and, you, and you've got to create this culture, you want the culture itself, right, to drive uh, what's going on, all the results of the organization. But how do you build motivation into something? She's going to be teaching us the science of motivation, and uh, I think it might help all of us, with our maybe with our families, but also at work. How do we motivate other people to get stuff done? We'll get to her in a minute, but before we do that, let's get to Terry and the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the world? Thanks, Matt. The Democratic National Committee has cut off Bernie Sanders' campaign from the master voter file for improperly accessing his rival Hillary Clinton's confidential voter data, the Washington Post report that... Uh, late Thursday. Citing several officials, the Post reports that the DNC suspended Sanders' campaign from using the party's crucial uh, crucial voter information until it provides an explanation and guarantees the Clinton data has been destroyed. Sanders' campaign manager Jeff Weaver acknowledged that the low-level staffer had viewed the information but claimed it was accessed because of a problem with software a vendor hired by the DNC. Weaver said a staffer was fired over the incident. The DNC controls a master list of voter data that was that is rented out to campaigns, which is then uh, adds information amassed by their own staff. So it's a master file of voter information. They use it to you use it to make up your your plans and strategies on how you're going forward, looking at how people are this, voting. Is this Obama's? This this is the this is what Obama put together, right? I don't. I think it's a, a list that the, the committee actually keeps. I don't know if it has to do with Obama's uh, data that they gathered. One of the communications it directors said, "This is the thing. This is what gave them the advantage over the last two cycles." But what this also tells all of us, as they're fighting about the data, the data is about the voters. Yes, and they have very specific data about how to approach the voters, and that's apparently what they're fighting about. Which, just for all the voters out there, we ought to all just remember: the Democrats have data on you. Yes. On everybody. <laughs> and, and that's what they're fighting about. Apparently there was a firewall issue and it went down yeah. and it does this often. And they were able to kind of jump in there and use that access the wrong way. And they're having to figure that out. Mm. So uh, the former neighbor of the San Bernardino shooter, Syed Farouk, his name is Enrique Marquez, was charged Thursday with conspiring to commit crimes of terrorism with Farouk in 2011 and 12 in an affidavit filed by the FBI uh, goes into detail about their alleged plot to attack students at Riverside Community College and commuters during rush hour on nearby State Route 91. Federal prosecutors say there's no evidence that Marquez knew in advance or participated in the shooting in San Bernardino that killed 14 people. So he's off. If you've seen any of his pictures, it, it, it really is a lesson that we all need to really watch what we put on Facebook. Cause they're <laughs> not, not flattering. He does not have flattering yeah. photos. In the wake of the San Bernardino terrorist attack earlier this month, visitors to Disneyland, Disney World, SeaWorld, and Universal Orlando this holiday season will see heightened security measures. Disney said more local law enforcement officers will be on hand at Disneyland and Disney World. Visitors will be chosen at random to go through metal detectors, and specially trained dogs who can detect explosives on people will be on patrol in key areas. This is all from USA Today. Disney has also stopped selling toy guns 
uh, on at Disneyland and Disney World property, saying they they could distract or confuse security personnel and employees. And uh, any guest under the age of fourteen is not allowed to wear costumes anymore in mm. the theme parks. Under the age of fourteen. Under fourteen. So you know your little girl wants to yeah. dress as a princess. Fine. If you are thirty and you want to dress as a princess. You probably don't, well, don't and, do that. And you got to grow up. And you ought to grow up probably. Don't you think, though, if – you know, nobody wants to be searched by TSA. But if you were going to be searched by the Little Mermaid – Well, it's not the Little Mermaid. Like if the Little Mermaid said, all right – There's photographs online, white tents and security personnel with uh, wands. So it's, so it's not like – It's not fun. Blasted. No. Well, that's going to slow down everything. That's disappointing because – Never but mind. They want it to be a fun place. They don't want problems. They want it to be safe. They want it to be safe. And so they're trying to make it safer so there's no problems. Because you can imagine that would be a target. Well, if anybody can make you know a strip search um, less painful, yeah, I'm going to bet it's Disney. What about – never mind. <laughs> Whistle while you work, you know. It's got to be Disney because Disney, they know how to entertain. They know how to make long lines not seem so long. They ought to – by the way, if this works, they ought to go take on the TSA. You know what I mean? And just start – That's I mean, that's a great business model. Security. Fun security. Hey, let's uh, take a break. When we come back, Lindsay McGregor will be joining us. Lindsay, again, is uh, the co-author of the book Primed to Perform. She's going to be teaching us the science behind motivation. So if you work in an organization, uh, if you have a business you run, we'll be talking about the culture and how to build a high-performing culture. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, friends. You know, too often, having a great and successful work culture feels like it's uh, it's just too hard to do. There are times when it seems that no matter what we do, those around us still seem completely unmotivated. And while most leaders believe culture is critical to success, few of us actually know how to build one or let alone sustain one if we happen to come upon it. What if we could understand the science behind motivation, a science so predictive and so powerful that you could actually transform your organization and make it a high-performing, highly motivated organization? Our next guest, Lindsay McGregor, is the co-author of the book Prime to Perform. She joins us this morning to talk a little bit more about the magic behind the science of motivation. And uh, Lindsay, we welcome you to the program. Thanks for joining us this morning. Matt, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You bet. It really is. And I think most of us experience the, the, the lower performing culture because, you know, it's just what we do day in and day out. We may not be a boss. We may not be the manager. But, you know, eventually we will be. Is, talk to us about, first of all, what, what would you – what is – how do you define the word the, – the concept of a work culture? It's a great question. Every company has a very different personality, but your culture is really what motivates you to show up to work each and every day and affects why you work. So I think we've all been in cultures where it's been toxic and also even cultures where it's just mediocre. Myself, for example, as a leader, I used to be the type of person that asked everybody how their weekend was and smiled and was nice and was there when you needed help. But I gave people lots of space and autonomy because I thought that was what they want. And what they came back to me was that the culture I had created was pleasant, but it wasn't high-performing. We weren't Mm. achieving all that we could achieve. And so even just 
nice and pleasant wasn't great enough for my people. Yeah, it's interesting because and so you think some want the high performing. Are, are there some people that don't want to be in a high performing culture? They just kind of want you to leave them alone. <laughs> like, don't mess with me. It's a great question. When psychologists look at the research behind what makes people tick, they find that people um, are doing their best. They're most creative. They're most innovative. They're most um, high achieving when they experience what we call play, which is when you feel like you just love the activity that you're doing. It's why we all do activities or have hobbies like woodworking or writing or cooking all of us intuitively seek out that thing we just enjoy doing. And if we can enjoy doing our work between in, during the day, not just our hobbies on the weekend, we're all much more satisfied. Oh, yeah. And especially, I guess, too, because there's a big, you know, a hullabaloo, I don't know what we call it, about the uh, disengagement of employees. Like 70%, according to Gallup, poll would say that that employees in the United States aren't as engaged as they need to be. And is, I mean, I guess that's it. If I don't feel like my job is my passion, if I don't feel like it's fun to do and I'm, and I'm not engaged doing it, then I'm assuming this is all going to impact the bottom line. It's going to impact our customers. It's so true. It's, you know, when we saw this disengagement again and again and again in our work where we would go into companies and help them think about their strategy. But we realized that organizations not only needed a great strategy, but they needed a great culture. So our big breakthrough came from when we were working in the middle of the financial crisis um, at a company that was in its own personal crisis. It was a big bank, and we were in this call center that was as big as a football field. It was filled with rows and rows of gray cubicles with hundreds and hundreds of people on the phone talking to hundreds of customers a day. And everybody told us they felt like cogs in a machine. Hmm. And you can imagine how difficult this period of time was because customers were in distress. They were losing their homes. They were in debt. They were losing their jobs. And they were angry at the banks. So you can imagine working in the heart of a bank at this point in time was a scary and painful place to be for everybody involved. Um, And our question was, how do you create a great culture in the middle of that? Yeah. And if we can do it there, then surely we could do it anywhere. Um, and by implementing the science behind motivation, we actually completely transformed the culture of this organization. Um, we started with a small pilot group that was really a, a bad news bears team. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the guys on this team was the day before the security guard of the building. Oh, wow. <laughs> <had> no experience <laughs> dealing with the bank's customers. Um, and just by implementing the science, this group completely turned around. They were became high energy, incredibly engaged, and their returns were 200% that of their peers. Holy all cow. in what was an incredibly tough situation. So we then had faith that if we could do it there, we could do it in our in startups and big companies on the sports teams that we coach on the weekends or in our families. And you call this – so what you've kind of found is the science – behind total motivation. Um, talk about what, start us into what, what are some of the points um, of how to motivate? What, what is the science? You know, this is probably going to sound intuitive to you and also to many of your listeners, but it took us years and years to figure this out, which was that why you work determines how well you work. Hmm. But why determines how well? Imagine if you're showing up to work 
because you love the work itself versus simply to collect a paycheck, that's going to change your behavior day to day. Oh, yeah. And there's this amazing spectrum of reasons why people work that was first uncovered at the University of Rochester by two professors, Professor DC and Ryan, and that has been built on over the years by many academics. And we took that and tested it in workplaces in 50 major companies in the U.S. and 20,000 people around the world. And this spectrum of reasons holds true. It's fundamental to our humanity. Uh, the first reason why people work is play. And we've talked about that a little already. It's when you work because you love what you do. So a teacher at play loves creating lesson plans, for example. The second main reason why people work is purpose. And this is when you're working because you deeply believe in the impact of your work, like a teacher believes in educated students. Hmm. And the final positive motivator is potential. And this is when you're working because the work is somehow going to enhance your own potential. So that teacher, for example, um, may want to be a principal one day, and this job is a good stepping stone for her to reach her potential. So workplaces that inspire play, purpose, and potential lead to higher levels of performance. But there's also three motives that we tend to use a lot in the workplace that really destroy that performance. Mm. You know, hold on. Don't don't tell us. Do not tell us. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, no. Yes. Uh, so let's do this. So the, so. So those are the drivers, kind of. The drivers, I guess, are play, purpose, and potential. Um, and then you're saying, too, there's, there's some restraining forces. Um, yes. uh, let's do this, though, Lindsay. Let's leave them hanging. Let's, um, <laughs> let's take a break and come back. And I want you to come back, and we'll get into the restrainers. What keeps us uh, – and I'm, I, you know what? Oh, this is so interesting because all the listeners out there, be thinking, what keeps you from liking your job? What – pulls you down what makes it so you don't like going and you don't want to be there um we'll see if we can't uh you know figure it out she poor Lindsay, they had to spend all this time doing it and we're just going to learn it all in a morning come on cool stuff we'll take a break more with Lindsay mcgregor finding out the science of total motivation and her new book uh, prime to perform stick with us folks this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Joining us on the phone is Lindsay McGregor, co-author and New York Times best-selling uh, book author of the book Primed to Perform: How to Build the Highest Performing Cultures Through the Science of Total Motivation. She wrote that book with Neil uh, Doshi and then they put together an organization called Vega Factor. You can go to their website vegafactor.com um, where where they talk about a lot of uh, these ideas and also how you how you know they they coach companies on the science of motivation. Lindsay, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. Hey, I figured it out while we were gone. Here's what I figured oh, out. You were teaching us that there's kind of three drivers or motivators, th- three things that keep employees engaged. Work like play. They like if they can work to play, if they have purpose, and if they can grow their potential to become more. And then you were saying that there's certain factors. What were you calling those other factors? 
these other factors are the motive. We call them the indirect motives because they're not directly related to the work itself. And these three motives destroy performance, yet we use them all of the time. Okay. Okay. So I would call that like a restrainer or a, a destroyer. Let's use that word. Okay. Here's one of them. Here's one of the things that makes work so hard. People. Are you going to guess it? I guessed it. It's people. People. <laughs> people? Are, it, if we could all work without people, I'm telling you, Lindsay, it would go so much better. No, just kidding. It's um, so true, isn't it? It is. Here, let me give you one, though, because I'm, I'm sure. Pay. That and, is a... Because, because it, money eventually doesn't motivate you. It's a very good guess. It's when you feel economic pressure. There we go. It starts to destroy performance. And, you know, economic pressure comes when you're trying to gain a reward, like to get that bonus, mm-hmm. or when you're trying to avoid a punishment, like avoid getting fired. And money itself is not necessarily good or bad, right. but when it's used to create that pressure, that's when it starts to cause stress and people become distracted and they stop focusing on the work at hand. And, that, and then, too, the competition that that creates, right? Because exactly. it's like, then now, now I'm going to compete against my coworkers instead of sharing my best practices. Exactly. There's so many instances of performance review systems, for example, in companies hitting people against each other. For one person to do well, the other person has to fail. Mm. And that creates an intense amount of pressure inside an organization. So so one of the issues that is kind of a restraining force that we think motivates but probably doesn't as much as as it as we think it does is economic pressure. What are what are the other ones? The others are emotional pressure. Mm-hmm. And this is when you're doing something out of guilt or fear or shame. Uh, this word FOMO, fear of missing out, is yeah. a form of this. Um, as is prestige seeking, when you're doing something just for the prestige, um, you know, emotional pressure is why I played the piano growing up. My mother was great at applying emotional pressure um, <laughs> to help me play the piano. And as a result, I did the bare minimum. I checked the boxes. And you see that all of the time. When oh, you're yeah. working for emotional pressure, you're just putting in the bare minimum. And, and we do that, I mean... We, we can do that so many different ways, just as a manager or as a leader, you know, just simply saying, you know, there's, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so is doing a lot better than you are, you know, and I don't know why you're not performing better. And, you know, we might have to make adjustments next year if you're not careful. I had a lady at a party last night tell me she was basically just told that she's either got to accept a new role or she's gone. And, she was the top performer in what she was doing, but they didn't like paying her that much. You know, it's a common, common motivator. I myself used to say, you know, you really want to live up to your full potential or you'd really be disappointed letting yourself down or letting the team down um, if we don't do this. Mm. And that's a quick and easy way to tell somebody that something has to get done. But it's not a motivating way, and you're not going to get a great performance as a result. That's true. So we've got emotional pressure, economic pressure. What else? The final one is inertia. And this is when you're showing up for work today because you showed up yesterday. <laughs> um, it is surprisingly common in the workplace that people are going through the motions, and when they're sitting down with their friends or their family who says, why are you still going up to, going to that job? You clearly don't like it. They say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and then they're not, I guess they're not really choosing it. It's just, they're just, they feel stuck in it. Exactly. 
And, you know, when we, because of these motives, these six motives are so fundamental to who we are as human beings. You can put people in fMRI machines and see how these different motives um, activate different pieces of the brain. We can actually measure them and predict performance with them. Hmm. We can add up how much play, purpose, and potential somebody feels and subtract how much emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia they feel and come up with this one score or number called total motivation. And then we can start measuring how total motivation affects things like creativity or problem solving or customer service, all of these really adaptive behaviors. You know, you can use any motive to get something done. Like if I told you that I will, that you must clean out my fridge or I will punch you in the face, mm-hmm. you're going to clean out my fridge. Right? I, know, I probably still wouldn't. <laughs> I okay. hate cleaning fridges. <laughs> I'm also not that threatening. I know you're not. I, I, I've, I've seen you. Come on, Lindsay. I could take you. Um, but isn't it – that's so true though. Like you can drive your car. If your emergency brake is on, I guess if you want to, you could just floor it and that would make the car move. Or you could remove the restrainer and just take the brake off. Exactly. You can make something move, but I guess the goal is to be able to make it move long-term and on its own. Exactly. To make it move long-term, on its own, and go above and beyond. Um, When somebody is – when you walk into any sort of store, like a coffee shop or a um, library, you can tell the difference between people who – are really going above and beyond to make you feel welcome and to have a fun experience versus the people that are just, you know, making your coffee and handing it over, for mm. example. Is this – is it's, whose it's job is this, though? I mean, is this my job to do this to make sure I'm motivated? Is it is it the boss's job? Who? I mean, in a culture, I guess, in an organization, that is the role of a manager and a leader, right? It's a great question, and we found that – Anybody in any role can make a difference. So for individuals, we coach them to really think about where they find play and purpose and potential and to constantly experiment with how they can bring more of that into their own jobs. And they might find that they love one piece of their job more than another, and they find ways to do more of that in their daily life. Hmm. For a leader, for example, of a team, we encourage them to actually measure the total motivation of their people. And we have a very easy, quick measurement tool um, for free on primetoperform.com where you can measure your total motivation. And we've had people come back and say that from big, famous tech startup companies to schools in New York City um, to a surgeon in a hospital say that they've measured the total motivation of their folks and then held workshops to discuss with them where they find play, purpose, and potential, and what's causing these pressures and start to solve it together. Hmm. And then if you're the leader of a company, you have to think about all of the systems in your organization that affect people's motivation. So you can have the best mission statement in the world and be a great leader, but these systems or processes in your company, like how your compensation works or how your performance reviews work or how your organization is designed, those things can really change the feel and culture of a company. It's so true, isn't it? If if you're not motivated... Um... If you're not motivated, like if I can't get benefits for six months until after I've worked for six months, then that just being unable to go to the doctor could impact your motivation. Exactly. 
And so all of these decisions about how your company works affect why people come to work every day. Hmm. And that, and that, I guess, that becomes systems, that becomes structure, processes. And so I guess, too, that means everybody needs to be figuring out how their part of the game impacts the whole. HR has to see how they're contributing to the motivation factor of the organization. The benefits exactly. people need to see that. The salespeople need to make sure they're selling their products in a way that isn't, you know, destroying customer service. Exactly. We did this amazing um, study of uh, salespeople and looked at how was their motivation changed by their sales commissions. And we found that when salespeople felt that the product really helped the customer, the paycheck didn't really change why they worked. But when they didn't believe that it helped the customer, they were working only for the money and it really reduced their motivation. Hmm. Yeah, I think we, isn't that weird? We think just money's it. Just money motivates. And and the research shows it does motivate, I guess, up to like $70,000. Exactly. And, you know, some of the best salespeople we've talked to have said, my commission is a great way for me to track how well I'm doing. So it helps me play. It helps me innovate and track whether my innovations are working. But it is not the reason that I'm coming into work each and every day. Mm-hmm. Does this apply to, like, students going to a university? It does hugely. You know, researchers and professors have measured the total motivation of students. And with that measurement they could have actually predicted who was going to drop out of school Mm. one year later. And the same thing with athletes, which I know has been a theme on your show. They can measure total motivation and see who is going to stick with the sport or who's going to drop out of their sport. And I used to think that it was the students or athletes who were the best at what they did that would stick, you know, the best soccer player or the best basketball player. But it turns out it's not. It's the one that's playing the sport because of play or purpose or potential and not because of that pressure. Yeah. And and I guess it's good for me to know this, right? So if I'm starting in my own business, um, am I passionate about what I'm doing? Do I find my job to be a playful thing that I enjoy, love, and love doing? Do I see that it's going to grow my potential? I guess in any business, if if these aren't aligned properly, I need to work on myself. Otherwise, I'm probably going to burn out or just not not be motivated. Exactly. And think about the benefits of when you do love your work. My co-author and I, for example, were at a coffee shop in New York City on a Saturday talking about all of this research and how much we loved it when the person sitting next to us leaned over and said, excuse me, I, I work at Rosetta Stone. I want to tell you about our purpose and our mission and how we are not just about bottom line revenue, but we're actually working to save and preserve endangered languages. Hmm. And that's what gives us meaning in our daily lives. And that kind of thing would have never happened if we weren't passionate about what we did. Yeah. We would say, great, it's Saturday. We can put our work <laughs> away and completely ignore it. Yeah, that's amazing. On a Saturday. And it was unsolicited, but you could hear the passion. Exactly. Exactly. Because otherwise, what are we doing? We're just, I guess, a cog. We're just filling, we're just filling a hole. Yeah. And so... Our own personal attitudes towards our work and our lives has changed dramatically, where we now think about, I used to want to be very perfect in everything, and as a result, I was stressed all of the time. But the essence of play is treating everything like an experiment. 
So now every story that I tell, every client that I work with, I treat it like an experiment as let me see if I can improve upon what I did last time and learn and grow. That brings a whole new sense of fun and joy into the work that you're doing every day. And and I guess, and the idea isn't perfection, it's process of learning. You've got, we'll do it again, we'll learn, we'll learn, we'll learn again tomorrow. That's, I guess, what's really powerful about a culture is it's not just this it's it's a third entity almost between the people and the and the organization, but the culture is constantly changing and dynamic. So we can keep learning in it. We'll just keep improving it. Exactly. There is a fast-growing growing startup called Medallia in San Francisco that helps um, with customer service experiences. And when they were growing from, you know, 100 to 600 people, people would ask their CEO and president, how do we preserve our culture? And she turned around and said, the question is not, how do we preserve it? The question is, how do we make it evolve with us? Because the world is always changing, and we have to change with it. Hmm. Man, that is good stuff. Um, what if we, as we're wrapping this up, Lindsay, what would you say is the one thing? I always like to know, what's the one thing I can do today, and maybe over this holiday, to kind of get reinvigorated, remotivated for this new year? and to set myself up to succeed? It's a great question. I would reflect on what activity do you find play in, what do you find purpose in, and what do you find potential in. Measure it. You can do it very quickly at primetoperform.com. And then think about your goals for how you want to personally bring more play and purpose and potential into your life in the coming year. That's great. So primedtoperform.com uh, is the website where you can go take those assessments. And then you can also go to uh, Vega, V-E-G-A, vegafactor.com and, um, and get more information on your group. Great job on all of this, Lindsay. And thank you so much for uh, giving us some insight today. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. Take care. Happy holidays. Happy. That's just great. How cool. You know, it's, it's up to us, right? I guess we could hope everybody else is going to motivate us. But if you're a manager, if you're a leader, you can influence motivation. So get on it. And if, if not, you go worry on about yourself. Go worry about your play, your performance, your growth. Good stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Great stuff uh, we just learned by Lindsay McGregor on how to to build a higher-performing culture and, and to stay motivated. Those are really interesting, important things to be thinking about. And and I would suggest many of you might, you know, this might be your last day before the holidays. If you're taking time off, if you can't, um, still do do some thinking over the next few days about uh, you, a lot of times when we kind of get ready to, to go do some New Year's resolutions and to start the new year, what we tend to end up focusing on is a lot of um, what I call the tangibles. Like we, we focus on uh, my New Year's resolution could be I'm going to – I want a six-pack. Yeah, that's it. I want to go work out and have just a rock-hard body. Okay, great. Very tangible. You can knock on it, right? You can hit – the hard body. But there's other things people want. I want more money. I want this job. 
we focus on the tangibles and we set our goals there because they end up being – they seem more real to us and they seem more important to us. But one of the things I found is maybe what we ought to be focusing on for some New Year's resolutions might be not necessarily um, the the outcome goal like a rock-hard body, but maybe we ought to be focusing on more some of what we call maybe the drivers that get the rock-hard body. For example, um, maybe this year what you ought to focus on is is your thinking. So do you have certain thoughts that impact you a lot? Do you have a thought like uh, that you are – you're not as good as everyone else around you? Do you have a thought that consistently comes into your mind that you know you don't want to make a mistake or that you're afraid of something? Or do you have a thought that everybody's a, a competitor to you? And wouldn't it make sense that if you really want to change your life, instead of just setting a, a goal, a New Year's resolution to go fix – to go get a better job. What if you could actually have a New Year's resolution to just change one negative thought that consistently comes to you? What is the long-term impact of you getting rid of the negative thought that thinks that makes you think that you you're not good enough? And what if all we did for the New Year's resolution was identify some thoughts that need to get better? Now, well, okay, well, then what do we do? Well, I guess then let's just keep that top of mind. Well, how do you do that? I guess you could write it down and put it on your phone and have it in front of you and just consistently start noticing and detecting the negative thought. There's a quote that's called negative thought detection, positive thought selection. So the minute you sense you're in that negative thought, find what we, what would we replace that thought with? That I'm a powerful, amazing, incredible child of God, and he loves me. That's a positive thought selection. Now, why that's important is because if you want to be motivated to go get in shape and it's all about your abs, but you still have negative thoughts, you can have the tightest six-pack in the world and you're still not going to believe in yourself. And that's sad, right? That's tragic. But instead, we might want to remove the negative thought, find the positive thought, and if we could fix the thought, then the six-pack might come if it matters to you. It's probably less likely to come or stay if it doesn't, if you don't have the thought right. So one thing we could work on are our thoughts. Another thing we might want to work on are the feelings that we have. Do you have a lot of feelings that you're tired of having? Do you notice that you feel a lot of uh, competition with other people? Do you feel like you're always negative? You're always angry at people. Do you feel like you're exhausted? You're frustrated? So I guess you could work on getting more sleep. You could also make sure you're focusing on the feeling you're starting to – you want to get rid of or the feeling you want to keep. When do you feel the most alive, the most invigorated? As Lindsay McGregor was just teaching, when do you feel the most at play, at most at purpose and the most potential? One reason I think focusing on your feelings is important uh, as a New Year's resolution is because it gets you more tuned into your feelings. And I'm going to bet if you're more tuned into your feelings, you're probably going to be able to fix some of the more tangible things in your life. Make sense? So for, for your New Year's resolution, maybe start looking at some things that 
you might not normally be working on for New Year's resolutions, but probably pull more weight, like your thinking and your feeling. Those two things are probably bigger motivators for any New Year's resolution than your fear, your frustration, your anger. Anyway, just a little heads up for you, a little coach's corner from Dr. Matt. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be getting into a whole new hour. We're even going to be doing a review of Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Stick with us, folks. We've got a great hour next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. It's actually bottom of the morning to you. Great. Uh, it's a great day, folks. It's Friday. You now... Have your last weekend before Christmas. You better make it good. Make good use of it. It's also December 18th, ugly Christmas sweater day, and free shipping day. Allegedly. Allegedly. I don't know where that is. that everywhere? I'm not sure. I saw it yesterday. They said it's a a marketing-type campaign with some companies to be able to encourage this last weekend mm. before Christmas. You can get out there, make some more purchases, oh, free shipping. So I don't have to go violate the mannequins. I can instead just look online and then... It de- I'm not sure how widespread this is. Hmm. So, you know, it's look also, around. You might, bake, find, might find some deals. Bake cookies day? It's a good excuse to bake cookies. You know what? Every day. Is a good excuse to bake a cookie. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. Absolutely. <laughs> That's so true. It's, um, it's an interesting day. Uh, Star Wars opened last night. My son went to it, hmm. and I, never, I didn't get to talk to him. But our very own Garrett rushed forth. Uh, Garrett went to the movie last night. What, um, what time did you go? I went to the 11.20 showing. Okay. Man. So I got home at 3.15 this morning. Mm. Did you really? Yep. And so I got a solid three hours of sleep before I came to work. And <laughs> You knew you were coming to work this morning, Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. Cool. Oh, no. Just to, I, I wanted I to was, check. I was prepared for this commitment. What, what's your take on the movie? In a minute, Rod uh, Gustafson from Parent Previews is going to give us his view, his take. But what's yours, This Garrett? is where, where people start freaking out. Yeah. No spoilers. I, Go I, ahead. I... Would probably see it two or three more times in theaters. Is that because it's so good, or mm-hmm. is that because it's so, you know, convoluted? You or couldn't... are you a nerd? Um, probably the. F- <laughs> <laughs> okay, yep. we found it. Okay. That was easy. <laughs> um, no, what I really enjoyed was uh, I just I I loved Jurassic World, but I saw that once. Right, and so like. Like, if I say I'm going to go see it probably two or three more times in theaters, I loved this movie. You nice. did. I was, I'm was. i a very active movie watcher, and I probably annoyed everyone around me because I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Oh, man, yeah, that that's would be, so uh, cool. I would stand up and punch you. Like, I was, be I, quiet. I wasn't, I'm like, watching a movie. really loud about it, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like that, I'll say things to my wife occasionally because that's who I go to movies with mm-hmm. just so I can sit there and not have someone else try to interact with me. But then I, I'm looking at her – like in the Transformers movie, 
Mm-hmm. When Bumblebee, the first time he transformed, uh-huh. that's like a childhood moment for me. My contact popped out of my eye because I did not blink because I didn't <laughs> want to miss it. And my wife was watching me. And she goes, you're such a dork. <laughs> then I missed it because I was trying to find my contact. True story. That's just pitiful. That's pitiful, right? But that's, that's what cute. that moment was. It's a cute was. story. Man, um, though that's good. See, so somebody that loves tech. So I'll let you know on Monday. Or that loves nerdy. I, only, I see movies usually yeah. once. I'm good. But very rarely do I watch a movie two, three times. So I'll let you know if I want to see it again. I watched um, all seven of the trailers of the seven Star Wars episodes, seven series. Does that make sense? Yes. All the movies. Yeah, the trailers of all the movies. The six previous ones. First and the new three, one. fantastic. Hmm. Four, five, six. Yeah. Seemed really old. Okay. I guess because they were done like 30 years ago, 40 <laughs> yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just like are those strings? What are they doing with that spaceship? Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just an interesting way to create movies. Start in the middle, rewrite yeah. the beginning. That was part of the uh, the intrigue on the first one. Yeah, was that it was episode four? Everyone was like, "What? What's going on?" Which, if you remember, there was a movie with Bill Cosby. I know, bad example, Ugh. but it was called Leonard Part Six. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, what happened to one, one through five? And oh that, wait, that never took off. He man. was a spy riding an ostrich. That, that was the movie. It was that bad. was it. That was it. Don't worry about it. Uh, speaking of spies riding ostriches, um, so Donald Trump, Donald Trump, and Vlad, his his buddy Vlad. There we go. There's the, that, that's, that's the Donald the, Trump, the music. duo, the wrecking ball duo. You can just see both of them swinging on a yeah. wrecking ball. No, not really. Okay, maybe. Their hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> so they're they're having a love fest. They are. Which is weird because... Now, well, Putin gave his State of the Union. He does one speech a year, and it is long. It goes on forever. The, the funny thing is cameras will pick out members of government that are sitting there yeah. falling asleep Ooh. during his speech. They will then be taken... Like all, all television flips over. Yeah, I mean, this it's, is it. It's a big deal it's like in a that Bill, country. It's like Bill Clinton it's when the, he used it's, to do it. It's the state of, of the union, but it's about double the amount of time. Well, and and it's it's not a, necessarily a free union. No. He takes questions. Oh, from wow. like they, They'll have like common people from... From clear out in Siberia, kind sir. that want to know I'm about from Siberia, the latest sheep policy or something. <laughs> Who knows? And and they're able to ask questions. And I mean, it's all set up it's and things. But yeah. they, they do this so that the whole nation feels like they're a part of what's going on with the country. Yeah. So that's that happened. Yes. And somebody asked him about Trump. Oh, really? That's so, where it came up. Okay. So you, we, I don't know if it was afterwards or during, but but. Putin said that we've we've read the quotes that he's a highly intelligent brilliant. person, brilliant leader. Obviously, he's leading the yeah. the polls. He is the leader. Okay, so, so this morning, yeah. on Joe Scarborough, which is on uh, what MSNBC, yeah. they had Donald Trump on, and they asked him, "What do you think about Donald Trump's opinion mm. or about what Putin is saying about you?" As they had Donald Trump on, if you could play that. Do you like Vladimir Putin's comments about you? Sure. When people call you brilliant, that's always good, especially when the person heads up Russia. Yeah. Well, I mean, also as a person that kills journalists, political opponents, and uh, invades countries, and invades countries, obviously uh, that uh, would be a concern, would it not? He's running this country, and at least he's a leader. You know, unlike what we have in this country. No, but again, he kills journalists that don't agree with him. Well, I think uh, our country does plenty of killing also, Joe, so, you know. 
Oh, what, what a lot you, of, there's a lot of stupidity that? going on in the world right now, Joe. A lot of killing going on, a lot of stupidity. And uh, that's the way it is. But uh, you didn't ask me the question. You asked me a different question, so that's fine. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. So, I mean, you, you obviously uh, condemn Vladimir fascinating. Putin killing what is he? journalists and political opponents, right? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So we asked him at the end, you condemn him for killing journalists and oh, political yeah. opponents. Oh, sure, sure. No, we, we shouldn't kill journalists. <laughs> but but Siberia is. He's like, he's a great man. This is great. But he kills, you know, journalists and stuff. Well, you know, we kill people too. Well. You know, <laughs> it's Mom unbelievable. Was, yeah. I mean, this is Putin. Yeah. This is. Well, for a long time, members of the media have gone, come in and said, hey, why can't we have a strong president like Vladimir Putin? Yeah. They start looking at like he's a better option than what we have now. I'm like, I, See, the, uh, you know what you know where this went bad is Scarborough shouldn't have brought up that he kills journalists. Yeah. He just should have brought up the Ukraine. He should have brought up Well, he someone else mentioned it in the background then he brought it up then, yeah, yeah. invading countries. Because it's nobody's going to I mean, nobody that follows Trump is going to jump at thinking that killing media is a bad thing. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, yeah. of all of all people, every other group would whenever believe that whenever he mentions how horrible the media is, his his people at his rallies cheer and everyone's yeah. like, "Yeah, you're right, the media is bad." But that's wow. Yeah. I had not heard that. That is <laughs> but that but again, notice what his point is. But yeah, but he's a strong leader. Yeah. He he's a he leader. Is. By the way, Hitler was a leader, right? He, yeah, he was. Strong. Yeah. Stalin. He, he inspired people. Strong. Yes. Right. Ay vey. That's just crazy. So, hmm. interesting well, interesting uh, inter- exchange there between the two. So. Yeah, that's uh that's Trump. I came in like a Strong leader. Strong leader. Ukraine? What do you mean? Unbelievable. Anyway, you know what? You want to bet his ratings go up? His ratings will go up. They always do. They have uh, in the past. It is a, uh, I wanna, a trend. I don't want to keep beating on Trump, but that's outrageous. Yeah. But I guess what's great is if Trump wins, our Russian relations are going to skyrocket. But I heard a clip during the debate. He said uh, it, it was misconstrued by other opponents on the stage. But Trump went at CNN because they were uh, prefacing almost every yeah. question with, so Donald Trump said this, what right. do you think about foreign policy? Donald Trump said this, what do you think about taxes? You know, And he's like, why are you doing this to these people? Ask them about the issue. Don't say I, Donald Trump, and, and then right. make them answer something about Donald Trump. Right. Why are you making this all about Donald Trump? And then someone misconstrued it and said, there's going to be tough questions. I think it was Jeb Bush came after him. for That's when you got the, uh, you're not going to insult your way to the White House. Yeah, yeah. And Trump's like, no, 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 I'm fighting for you guys. I'm trying to make it so they don't, right. uh, you know, they can ask you a straight question and not have to put me in every single question. So well, but, it's interesting. But again, the funniest thing about that is that Donald Trump is the one that puts himself into every single question anyway. Oh, yeah. And he's the front runner. He just thought it was, an, I mean, because we saw. Cruz, Cruz is now getting a beat down. <laughs> yes. Because he's a front runner. Once you're the front runner. There was an interesting story in Politico about how the Rubio campaign strategized and set Cruz yeah, up. Yeah, they set him up. To expose some possibly some. Uh, yeah. Well, they're looking at other policies that Cruz right. has done in 2013 when it came to immigration. And now he's sort of switched. Which is which what Rubio in the last debate was saying. 
Well, I did it because of the options. It's better than nothing because it at least ensures this. And yes. so once you're having to explain your policy, your decision making, it makes you look bad. And then he made Cruz apparently have to explain. And so Cruz has been on spin control the last couple of days trying to spin his way back out. And then the political article was talking about the strategy that went behind on the Rubio side to set Cruz up to spend two days trying to fix something that wouldn't it be <laughs> fun? Kind of interesting. It would be fun to see what the race would look like because there'd be some really interesting battles if Trump weren't so the far ahead. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah it just but the other big thing is is if Trump doesn't win Iowa, Trump has to win Iowa because he's not a loser. But if Trump loses Iowa after leading by so much, he's a loser. Yeah, and Cruz could win Iowa. Very, very yeah. really could win Iowa. This so this changes the game. There's a lot of support for Cruz and because how do you how do you spin losing Iowa when you're the winner that's ahead in so many polls? Well, the wait polls, for New Hampshire. Yeah. You say wait for New Hampshire, <laughs> or the polls are against me. So this is yeah. Surprising. Except you lose Iowa, you're going to drop, or he starts putting down Iowa. <laughs> starts that's criticizing. Exactly starts criticizing corn futures. Corn. Corn. Take down ethanol. Yeah. Yeah, take out Iowa. <laughs> Interesting. Well, it's, it's it's some pretty good headlines. Let's um, let's go though. Should we just go uh, get ready and let's let's not even do any more headlines. We've got them all covered. We talked about the biggest headline of them all. Right, Trump, the Trumpster. <laughs> and uh, let's do this instead. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll go visit uh, with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews dot com. Find out uh, about the big movie, Star Wars. Episode 7, The Force Awakens. He'll give us his review. Let you know uh, what you should be knowing about the movie as a parent. Should your kids be seeing it? And what uh, should you be talking about when it comes to the new Star Wars movie? Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today is the day we finally get to review the uh, the movie that's been the talk of the town, Star Wars, Episode 7, The Force Awakens, and we're joined by Rod Gustafson, our good friend uh, from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic that specializes in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective, and I'm sure all of your children are going to want to go out and watch this movie, so let's find out from Rod what he thought and what we need to be paying attention to. Rod, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Funny, <clears throat> excuse me, funny you should say that. I got in the door after the screening, and immediately my kids said, Dad, what did you think? We want to go <laughs> see that. Did you like it? I, you know, I did, Matt. I did like it. And I, if it sounds like I've got one foot slightly on the brake while the other one's on the gas, it, it does what it is supposed to do really well. But this isn't a masterpiece. It's not a work of art. And I think some people may be a little disappointed that it doesn't offer a bit more meat. Hmm. But, but So it, it serves the purpose. It, it furthers the storyline. And it's entertaining. It's exciting. It's just... Yeah, it's not like the it's not it's not the cinematic masterpiece. 
Yeah, even though, I mean, we've got J.J. Abrams at the helm, and this guy has done miracles already. He, he rescued the Mission Impossible franchise, and he, he revitalized Star Wars, or Star Trek, and brought the whole Star Trek family back into the forefront of, of a younger generation. And that really is the purpose of this movie. This movie is really a bridge that will introduce us to a new set of characters who will have um, some surprising parallels, I suspect, with uh, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia way, way back when I was a young guy. And, uh, and that really is what this movie achieves, achieves. It's really all about introductions and getting to know people. Hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's Star Wars, for heaven's sakes. That's something mm-hmm. I remember watching it as a young kid and now and seeing all of them with my family. And now I'm going to be seeing them as a grandpa. I mean, this is quite a series. And that is what has made this movie so popular. When you think about it, this movie has managed to target three distinct separate generations. And because, you know, the original movies were releasing around, you know, in that window from 1977 through to, what was it, about 1982, Mm -hmm. 83, I think. And then we had the movies at the turn of the century, and now we've got these ones. So they, they, they are actually quite amazingly placed and spaced in order to hit all those generations. Now, what was interesting, the, the screening I was into, they did not have media screenings in my city, unfortunately. So I was smart. I bought one of those tickets two months ago or whenever they went on sale. So last night, I was at the first showing in my city, and I looked around the room. It was very young. Now, hmm. there is bias there. These are all people that would have gone on the Internet and would have been very excited to buy those tickets two months ahead of time. But it was interesting how young the audience was. I think I was one of the oldest people in the room. And so this is really a film that is all about attracting that new generation of Star Wars fans. Hmm. Is, there, is there any watchouts, anything we need to, to pay attention to, or is it fairly safe for our kids? Bit of a watch out on the violence. Um, I would say that you know the violence is is somewhat similar to what we had in Star Wars Episode Three, which was the last of the of the last set of movies uh, where you know where we had situations like Darth Vader dying and all of those, or not Darth Vader. I'm sorry. Oh boy, I'm getting my Star yeah. Wars characters mixed was up. It Anna, but we, uh, uh, yeah, who died? Yeah, who died? Somebody died in the lava. I'm sorry, I'm having a mind blank there. But it is, the violence level is similar to what we saw in that movie. So there is more violence than perhaps what we had in the original trio of Star Wars movies. And there is one, I don't want to give anything away, but one emotionally involving moment that may be a little bit too much for young people and even some older people too. And uh, so definitely, you know, I would say... Uh, 12 and over, maybe at most 10 and over, but this isn't a little kid's film. Mm. Uh, so get a babysitter, go grab the teenagers and enjoy this movie as a family, but uh, you know, leave the little ones at home. Does it set up uh, the next two movies? I mean, does it leave you hanging? Or are you excited for the next one? You know, 
I was surprised that there wasn't more of a lead-in left to the next movie. This one sits fairly much by itself, but obviously, I mean, they've already got the other two movies. They've got directors assigned and everything else, which a little disappointing, by the way. J.J. Abrams is not directing the other two movies, so there'll be three different directors Hmm. in three different movies. But it really, um, it sits more by itself than I thought it would, but, I mean, it's barely established these new characters, and we know that there's going to be more adventures and more things happening uh, as they move forward with this. What, um, are there any other movies we need to be watching out for? Because uh, it's Christmas, right? Is there anything else that you would recommend, or is this pretty much, you know, kind of the must-see through the Christmas holidays? Well, I think for most families, knowing how much time, if your family's anything like mine and how much time you have to go watch movies at Christmas and money, uh, you know, Star Wars is probably the one to go and see. Elvin and the Chipmunks is releasing today. Oh, wow. I, I have to laugh. It's called Elvin and the Chipmunks, the road chip, which, of course, <laughs> is a play on the term road trip. Yeah. But I would say that poor Elvin is going to be road kill opening the same weekend. Oh, can you imagine? So I, I, you know, who knows? The Alvin movies are not something that particularly appealed to me. So we have a good one coming up next week that I'm not allowed to say too much about yet. But next week I can talk about it a little bit more. But look for Will Smith and Concussion. Oh. It's a thinker movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it uh, actually comes off quite well. That's a topic uh, we we are going to be covering a lot in depth in the next few uh, weeks here on the Matt Townsend show as well. Well, I appreciate it. This is, this is some good stuff. I hope you uh, have a happy holiday. I mean, I, I mean, box boxing day, is that what we call it up in Canada? Well, we have Christmas day, of course, but yes, then we get the bonus day. We get boxing day on the 26th. And that's when the queen gave the day off to all of her servants. And we're all still happy to be getting that, oh, that day was off. Nice of her. That was nice of her, wasn't it? That's so great. Well, Rod, we appreciate you. Take care and happy holidays, and may the force be with you. Thank you very much, Matt. You too. See you, Rod. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be going in-depth with a couple of our producers. We always like to let our producers teach us what they can. We're going to be talking about some crazy holidays around the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, special guests in studio. Two of our favorite, uh, (laughs) our favorite producers. I say that to all the producers. Wait, what? Uh, None of them have names. We call them Thomas and Tan. Caitlin Thomas, Leanna Tan, two of our producers, and they they always come in and they try to teach me stuff, which is hard because uh, there's so much I know. You're so smart, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, we need. Can I'm glad we. Ca- I'm glad we captured that. Hey, um, what are we going to talk about today? This is your. The, you got ten minutes to edify. Well, we have. Well, we were thinking, Matt, because it's Christmas is in a week. Yeah. So we wanted to do something that dealt with Christmas, but was also going to be informative, right? Yeah. And we wanted Appropriate to relate for your show. We wanted to relate the young to the old. So we, us being the young and well, you being old. But anyway, that's rude. Uh, <laughs> that's very rude. I'm going to. We write were that talking. Down. Leon and I were talking about how 
we get so accustomed to our own cultures that sometimes we don't take time to understand other cultures. Right? We see that a lot in the news. We see that a lot. And we like there's a bias. We, we right. Like we look at our culture as being the one that's right instead of opening our eyes. And and we were talking about how Christmas because Leon and I both spent a couple Christmases outside the country. This is important because you're not just college students talking about the need to diversify and understand cultures. You Liana's lived in Japan for two a year and a half. You lived a year and a half in the Philippines. Exactly. And, and then so, both of you spent time in the pen. So uh, So we both to... experienced Christmas in different countries and that's what how we ended up talking about. We wanted to explore cool. Christmas culture in other countries and how yeah. that compares to sure. what we do here yeah. in America. And so I spent 18 months in the Philippines, so I actually only had one Christmas over there. Mm-hmm. But Christmas in the Philippines starts in September. Oh, that's a great tradition. So we so they celebrate from September all the way till February. There wow. is. But they don't they didn't really have Santa. Santa just recently made its way into the Filipino really? culture. What did they have? The nativity. Was, the, so that by the way, it seems very appropriate. That's that's the root they of Christmas, the right? Right. And they didn't really do gifts under the tree until about maybe four or five years ago when Santa started coming into their culture. Interesting. But so even Santa's though they're Filipino, even though they're Filipino, they won't allow their people to dress up as Santa. Santa has to be white. Wow. They will only hire an American or like an Australian somebody <laughs> with lighter skin to be, to be their Santa. Santa. Yeah. Wow. That's they're very vigilant, aren't they? It's interesting. That's so. You never got to really see Santa very much. No, not really. Sometimes they'd have the I nativity have set either. up in the mall and then a giant blow-up Santa right next to it. They didn't really. Oh, man. What did you see in Japan? In what Japan, they... it, was, it was almost the opposite. They, instead of spending like three months on Christmas, they barely even spent one day. It was almost like a blip in there, you know, on the radar. They still went to right. work and everything. And really, it's interesting. They think, you know, they don't have this idea of Christ like we do right. here. No, well, yeah. They have, um, they believe that Americans go to KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and get that. And so they order. <laughs> That's part their, of the tradition. Yeah, That's they, they order do. their Kentucky Fried Chicken meal like three months ahead so they can have that on Christmas. And then they, it's just like this big market scandal, right? And like oh, Kentucky Fried man. Chicken makes them think that KFC this is Christmas. has really marketed themselves yeah. over there. And they like sell Christmas cakes. They decorate them in like. Well, isn't Colonel things. Sanders? Isn't that Santa Claus? Oh my gosh, that That's makes why. sense. Now you know why. Oh my, I was always wondering who is mm-hmm. Santa. Yeah, you know it's Colonel Sanders. Oh, that makes sense. Man, that makes Americans <laughs> seem so shallow. <laughs> I know. I was like, this is not a thing. Oh, that is sad. It is sad. Look what we're exporting. We're, all we export is chicken. Well, there could be worse things. The message of Christmas, That's true. Is chicken for Christmas, has I mean, been reduced yeah. to of chicken. all things. At least it's fried chicken, right? At least oh, it's fried, and yeah. it's good. Yeah, well, very good. So Very then uh, we went we went online and started Googling, you know, weird Christmas traditions in other countries. And right. we found a couple, and um, we just wanted to talk about yeah, them. Yeah, let's see, hear about see them. What, see what you thought. Maybe like, we could educate you our listeners than, today. Weirder than a little KFC. Weirder than yeah, a, not well, yeah. Than and, you know, in America, think about it. From an outside perspective, we have a big jolly man in a red yeah. suit that sneaks down through chimneys and right. leaves gifts while the kids are sleeping. Right. That could seem a little weird. Well, especially nowadays. He'd be arrested. I mean, there's laws right. for that. <laughs> But get this in Catalonia. So this is in Spain. Okay, they have their own little celebration. They have what they call a uh, a well, it's like Uncle Log, and when you translate it from Spanish, Uncle Log. And they have a log, so they get a log like, like a you real put in log, your fire, like, like a, a real like log, a like a chunk wood, of wood, chunk of wood. Yeah, they have a, they put a face on it, so okay. it's got a face. Yeah, and they put it out, and the, starting on December eighth, 
all of the children are supposed to put food out to feed the log. Feed the log. Feed the log. And then they put a blanket on top of it to keep it warm because, you know, it's cold on Christmas. And then they take care of it. But then on Christmas Eve, they take sticks and they hit the log. Yeah. In an attempt to For get what? the log. What are they trying to do? By Why would they hit the log? That seems... To get the log to regurgitate know. their presence. What? Try That's to understand true. the culture. <laughs> See, right? We're so trying it's... to expand our minds so, here. So I, they, I, yeah, I died so I mean, that makes sense because underneath the log, after you hit the log, underneath the log, it's encouraging there's a abuse, present. Maybe. I, don't, I don't know. Well, actually. but see, we have trees, so the symbolism is the same. We just should hit our tree. If we have trees that underneath the trees. But we put presents trees, under our trees, right. so they put it... They, the parents will hide it under the log, and then the log they hit it, and the log will explode with candy and oh, gifts. Oh, and that morning they they go out there, and all their candy and gifts are under the are under uncle the log because they know, hit it. I think I'm going to start a tradition with my kids. I'm going to tell them if they're good, Santa will bring them coal. That way, I can save money. That's a so brilliant idea. Then you can just use it, and they'll be happy. Yeah, I think coal's out because people tell me that presents. They, they'll are, watch too much TV. Yeah, I get presents if I'm good, but if t- people tell me I get sure. coal if I'm good, I just want coal, right? That's not a bad idea. That's a good idea. Your poor children. Well, and get this. Idea. Christmas Eve in the Czech Republic is supposedly a single lady's chance to find out what her future holds. So in the oh, Czech really? Republic, single ladies on Christmas All Eve will stand ladies. outside their All door the and throw a shoe over their shoulder. So okay. throw outside their door. Right. And then if the shoe lands with the toe pointing towards the door, she will get married within <gasps> that next year. Holy cow. We wanted True. to try it. Let's try it. Okay, go. Go, Caitlin. Caitlin, you have an, a removable shoe. Mine, yeah, mine you, has a heel on you're, it. It's you're wearing of, a boot that's you're wearing a tied boot up a heel, to your yeah. hip. So anyways, we were just talking a little bit about how culture in other countries is is different. And we look at it like it's funny, which I, I laughed, I'll admit, when I read the log story. I laughed a little bit. Well, the logs, that's a weird story. Right, It is kind of strange, right? But so then we were thinking, okay, Matt, But you do don't want to make any? fun of their culture. Exactly. So we're trying to avoid that. But it's, it's interesting, right, how people right. celebrate Christmas differently. Even here in America, I'm sure we all celebrate Christmas differently. Yeah. So how do you, Matt, do you have any really odd <sighs> Christmas traditions or stories? Um, yeah. So I have this thing where if you take your hip waders... And you throw them over your shoulder, <laughs> and if they hit somebody, then you go to prison. Then you have wow, three more tradition. months of winter. <laughs> three more, two more years of jail. Okay, no, I, cool. well, <laughs> great, awesome. Two more months. Of jail. I have a strange one. I like. Well, I don't know if it's really weird. It's weird to other people. <laughs> we it didn't. Is weird, we didn't man. open our presents all on Christmas. We like would just open one a day and like just make Christmas like the present aspect last for like months and months. I remember we had our tree up to like March one year. Really? And like my friends would be like, can you come to play? And I'm like, sorry, I have to open my gift with my family. They're like, it's February. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... That's not a bad idea for the parents because you're getting more bang for the buck because it's really, you don't you could just get a present every couple of months and for they, the kids. Well, yeah. And they just give me like, it's not even an expensive gift. It's like, here's a pair of socks. Well, we actually a- call that just birthday here's a toothbrush and we call it like, it's just one continuous holiday i get one toothbrush house. a year uh, and graduation present <laughs> <laughs> that's so sad uh we we used to have a tradition where you're not so we all of us have to line up my kids have to line up they can't go into where santa was they have to line up and then we shoot a video of them coming in oh, to the room that's so cute yeah I that too that's really fun I used to – we all – the kids all sleep in the same room. We I used to do that with my sisters. We'd all go sleep in the my same room. My family does room. that on Christmas Eve. But I used to wake my sisters up every hour and say – That's me. Is it time yet? Is it time? <laughs> Is it time? I fed Santa – instead of feeding Santa cookies one year, we fed him oatmeal with glitter. Um, 
you know, oh. for the reindeer. <laughs> well, that killed. That's sad. The reindeer always left. Yeah, Santa never, yeah, Santa never came back after. Santa never. Probably has an impacted bowel. <laughs> anyway, we wanted to just Those spread cool. a cultural awareness well, this Christmas season and and let everyone know to be kind to one another, even though your traditions might be different. It's and all about mind. the spirit of Christmas and giving. Oh my up heavens! Up that's the perfect. Mind. That's the perfect deal. We wanted and to wish our listeners a merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Be kind to one another. That's and, and happy holidays. And that's from the Thomas and Tan. Right. The great combination, the great duo. The unstoppable duo. The dark forces, we call them here. The <laughs> favorite producers. Is what... Our favorite producers. Yeah, there you go. That's what they say. Uh, anyway, um, great stuff, guys. Thanks. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Remember who Merry you are. Merry Christmas, everyone. And yeah. enjoy your holiday for the next yes. year. Yes, no, that's the nicest thing you've ever said. I know. We're going to take a break, folks. That's fun. Good stuff. We'll take a break. Uh, more when we come back. We'll be talking to our good buddies at uh, BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be right back. And hippopotamuses like me do. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let us now go down to Vegas and visit our good buddies. Spencer and Jerem, who uh, are taking over Vegas with the Force. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> that is the worst sounding thing in the world. That, that's oh, my the, oh, goodness. Holy cow. <laughs> Did, um, Chewy, we're home. Apparently, you guys have been up all night. Did you go watch the show? Well, Did you Jerem get to see it? has. No, we <laughs> yeah, we saw it last night. Yeah, there, there, there's Chewy. We That's saw it last Chewy. night at uh, Brendan Theater at the Palms. Wow. Might be going again tonight. Matt, it was, it was so entertaining. You went too, It was Spence? so entertaining. You didn't go. Yes. You, you've got a baby that you I totally you went. Had there to were call. five of us. Wow. Oh, no. Was it good? No, Is it we, a good movie? We, uh, yes. We just, Absolutely. We, just, we yes. just did a review of it, and but you're, you're saying it's a great movie. Does anybody die? Movie. No spoiler alerts. But it's a great movie. Matt, Matt really? Oh, you... spoiler. This is going to be a spoiler. Okay, so like, I'm not going to see it for three days. That's a question that you just can't that you just can't answer. Man, should, should I should I go to the you bowl game? Should I go to the bowl game or Star Wars? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. You can do both. In if we were going drive to drive down in St. George, stop and see Star Wars, and then continue on to Vegas for the bowl game. I, I'm going to tell my sons to come find you guys at the bowl game. Oh, here, okay. Here Please comes. Do. do it. Is that a millennial falcon landing? Play? Yeah. <laughs> I think I hear a millennial <laughs> falcon. <laughs> Turn on auxiliary power. <laughs> that is crazy, guys. Well, that's cool. You are having a, a great, a really healthy, clean trip to Vegas. I mean, a lot of bad stuff happens in Vegas, and when it happens there, it stays there. But you're doing very healthy, wholesome things. I'm proud of you. We're trying. Yeah, we're trying. Jerem's had the best week ever. Has he? It has been pretty good. Yeah, saw Silver Sun pickups. We went to Star Wars. Yeah. Hanging out at the pool. Oh by, oh, by the way, so this morning I tweeted out, if this is retweeted 200 times by 9.45 a.m. Pacific time, I will jump in the pool. <gasps> Let me update you on this. Yes. It has been retweeted 294 <laughs> <laughs> So I am jumping in at the end of the it had, show. It had you like really? 52 retweets in like two minutes. Yeah. That, yeah. See. yeah, I'm jumping in. And 
And we do have a little crowd here who all came in anticipation of, of BYU. They're clapping right now. That of, is uh, so great. What are you going to wear? Hopefully the show. I, th- I think I think they uh, we, oddly they all want to see me shirtless. Apparently, I know. Really weird. <laughs> I know. This is going to be great. I don't, I don't think that they do. I, this is shocking, all man. You know what? There's a couple winking at me right now. This is getting weird. You, you need you need a Darth Vader mask. And cape, and then go jump in. <laughs> yeah, so I, so I can drown? What yeah. the heck? No, you'll be fine. <laughs> that would be funny, dude, in a swimsuit yeah. with just a yeah, dark it's a, it's all mask. for you guys. <laughs> well, oh why don't you, that's an amazing visual. Jerem, have you not learned oh. about making a deal or making a bet? You seem to lose a lot of them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Shave your... <laughs> Everyone keeps saying, Spencer, you need to go in with it. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't even. I didn't no. bring this up. No. I never even went there. Spencer. One of us needs to be for good reason. <laughs> I never went there. Yeah, one of us needs to be healthy, wealthy, and wise tomorrow for That's the true. bowl game That's because true. Spencer's going to be on camera. Yeah, yeah. You know, during our pregame show. Now we had we do have a BYU Sports Nation tomorrow, by the way, live from Sam Boyd Stadium, oh, New Hampshire, the cool. same time as the weekdays. John Beck and Johnny Harleen will be on set with us at the same time mm-hmm. as we get ready for BYU. Mm. Beck to Harleen before BYU. Oh, oh boy. Vegas Bowl. That brings back memories. This is exciting, yes, guys. Yes, sir. You know what? Um, this, I think, is going to this, – this, this could be the 100th win, right, for Bronco. Is it going to happen? Yep. I, need, I need a prediction from you boys. Mm. <sighs> Utah's a good team. They're, no, they're incredible. By, yeah. Like any – any result, yeah. They're both nine and three, but the Pac-12 South is uh, is tough. So for them to get through that, he, I, I'm gonna. If you watch the TV show, you'll see our stat of the day. But I'm just gonna say our stat of the day right now. The, in the Bronco Men Hall era, the last eleven years, BYU has never defeated a Power Five team that finished the season with at least nine wins. Oh boy, Utah's Utah nine has nine wins. Utah's that would be the first and only time in eleven seasons that BYU does that. Okay, yeah. if they win, yeah. So BYU beats Oklahoma. They're ranked number three. They finished with eight uh, wins. Eight wins. Holy because yeah. BYU knocks out Sam Bradford, who had won the Heisman Trophy the year before. So BYU kind of caused the dismay, you know, that yeah. season. But yeah. that, that's a significant stat. No, that is. that, And that's, yeah, that's telling. Hmm. Well, I Predictions. Guess... I, I want to give you a prediction, Matt. The thing is, I, I don't recall that I've ever led up to a game or analyzed the game that I had less of a feel for because mm. of how unique and how different the situation is. I mean, I just have no idea what kind of BYU team or Utah team, for that matter, is going to show up because both teams have reasons to be motivated and then both teams have reasons to be crazy, distracted, or unmotivated for Utah. Like, they they didn't want to come to the Las Vegas Bowl. And in BYU's games against Power 5 teams this year, they're 1-3. and So they have a little bit more to do in these games of... And the one win they got was by a Hail Mary, you know? Mm -hmm. So... They need to show up in this game, and I think I think BYU will. I think it's going to be a good game, and I think it's going to be a BYU Utah classic where it goes down to the wire. Yeah, I oh. think since '96, uh, only three of the rivalry games have been decided by more than one score. <laughs> this is <laughs> That's nuts. It's just <laughs> this is it's exciting, and this is why this is why honestly they pay you guys the big bucks to to know all of these stats. A and number two, to see Jerem shirtless jumping in a freezing cold pool. <laughs> Jerem deserves a raise. We should start a GoFundMe no, totally. for Jerem's rehab. I've been rehab. doing an internship for 
I know. A long time. I know. Yeah. Wait, what? You should at least get paid for this. <laughs> for Jerem's rehab. Yeah, we, we need to start a GoFundMe My to help rehab? him. rehab? What yeah. was just spoken? What, what do you yeah. think about that? Because your rehab, no, not re- your re- your health, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my health rehab. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Come on. <laughs> no, no. Okay. We're not talking about the other rehab issue. Hey, um, let me ask you this, because you guys are sports fanatics. <laughs> do you guys think there should that someone should be, like LeBron, should be called for a foul for crushing Jason Day's wife after diving for a ball in the NBA? Did you see that, Jeremy? That was out of control. I didn't see it. Okay, so this is unbelievable. Jason Day, great golfer, yes. ma- uh, major champion. Yes. They're at the Cavaliers game last night. LeBron goes crashing into the front row. She had to be taken off uh-huh. on a stretcher with oh her neck my. stabilized. It was bad. Wow. She's doing well now, but like he is a bull in the form he's of a human. Two hundred and fifty totally. pounds of lean muscle. And you, the video shows him. It's, it doesn't show her. It just shows her going down. But and then he he hit hard. You can see him hit hard, but he was on top of her. It was bad. Well, think about that. Think about a two hundred and fifty pound linebacker yeah. taking out a hundred and. 10 pound yeah. running back over the middle. Like, that's hey, kind no, of the equivalent of it. Spencer, yeah, you never tell dangerous. a girl's, you never say a girl's weight. That's rude. I, it was a guess. If, yeah. she, if she's she probably 90 that, pounds, I mean, she's just offended. She's tiny. Yeah. Yeah. If you say a girl's weight, it has to be under 100 pounds. Exactly. It doesn't have to be under 100 pounds. Oh, go check the handbook. <laughs> to, to be safe, check the you scout do. handbook. You're like, you're like pals. 70 pounds. Who's, a, who's offended if I said, oh, yeah, she weighs 110? Who's offended by that? Come on. The girl that's the 99. Oh, my goodness. Man, Spencer, do you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Did, are you not the a boy scout? It's one of the Boy Scout rules. Be prepared. Hey, um, be prepared. Anything? What's okay on your show today? You're still going to do it, right? You're not just going to swim at the pool and watch the Millennial Falcon land. No, no guarantees, I, man. Is it the Millennial Falcon or the Millennium Falcon? No, I don't know. Yeah, it's the Millennium. I'm, is it I'm, Millennium? No, I know the answer to it. I'm just I'm it's, giving you a hard time. It's, it's Millennium. The millennium oh, I thought it was Millennial. Yes. Oh, I was no, just thinking that no, it was... how dare you do that in front of Jerem Jordan? Matthew! I'm so sorry. Are you offended? <laughs> Jerem, oh hey, I mean no, no harm, Jerem. No, don't care. It's all I'm, good. Okay, jeez, that was I bad. come in peace. <laughs> okay, so so here it goes. Yeah. Here it goes, Matt. Shoot it out. You ready for this? Yeah, What's on it. the show today? Yeah. Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall's final <gasps> interview with us as the BYU oh. head coach on BYU Sports Nation. Ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Goodbye, England's rules. That's you will never hurt and Yep. <laughs> Bronco with us. Also, uh, NFL All-Pro tight end, Cougar legend Chad Lewis mm. will join us. Mm. It's a it's a loaded show. Oh, by the way, men's basketball plays tonight. Yeah, there's a BYU game, and BYU game radio. day. Yeah. Nine Eastern against Central Michigan. That's like headline number nine. Plus, plus. <laughs> Just because of everything that's been going on. Plus, there will be a little skin on oh. the show, right? We're going to see a little skin. Oh, and yeah. And Jerem's jumping in the pool. Yes. Oh, that's going to be great. Honor code appropriate. HCA. Hey, something for your listeners to think about over yeah. the next six minutes, Matt, while they get ready to listen to BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> yeah. What would, a win, what, would a, what would a win for BYU do against Utah mm. moving oh, forward? Humongous. And it would be hope for the next year. Holy cow. That's a big year. It's and loaded. Yeah, it is. It's loaded. Well, guys, it's loaded like your show. And like Jerem's, you know, sound effects cache in his head, um, it's loaded. <laughs> okay, guys, have a great show. Knock him dead. Uh, Jerem, make sure that you have Coast Guards and Lifeguards standing by. We do have there's, a Lifeguard. There's on, a Lifeguard. Like, on location. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, make sure you warn He's him. Here. He's already giving me, like, five towels. Okay, good. Okay. Good luck, guys. Knock him dead. You're too cool to be forgotten. Hug Bye. Bronco Stay for sweet. us. That's cool. Good stuff. Bronco's last interview. Oh, 
It's a big deal. I like Bronco a lot. Holly. Mm. They're good people. Good people. Hey, as we um, wrap up the show, let me give you this one. Would you ever turn over the control of your Christmas lights to somebody on the Internet? Listen to this. An Alaska family has bravely turned over control of their Christmas lights to people on the Internet who, uh, with the click of a button, are able to turn areas on and off all hours of the day and night. For the sixth year in a row, Ken Woods, an information technology employee in Fairbanks, has nailed a live camera to a tree outside of his home. He then rigged a dozen different controls, allowing anyone who visits his website to turn on a certain area of lights. You can turn them on or off all day long. Um, The very first year we did it, he said, we did one string of lights on the tree. Woods told ABC News it was cool, but then we added a web camera pointing at the tree, and then... Boom, it blew up. A week into it, my wife turned to me and said, next year, these are all going outside. He started it in his living room, by the way. A week into it, the wife said these are going to go outside, and then they started putting lights all over their house. So if you want to go have some fun playing on uh, turning on and off the lights on someone else's Christmas tree, what better place to do it than christmasinfairbanks.com. Go to the website, christmasinfairbanks.com. You know, give you something to do, uh, especially if you weren't able to get the lights up uh, at your house, right? You want to you wanna still have some fun and some joy? Take your kids to that website and check it out. Hey, as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. And I'm telling you, we save the best for last. This is such a great story um, of hero of the day. 45-year-old Shannon Johnson from Los Angeles, California. Listen to this story. Shannon Johnson is being called a hero for shielding a wounded co-worker during the San Bernardino attack. Denise Peraza was shot in the back and survived, but uh, Johnson died reportedly shielding Peraza from the attacker. Peraza described Johnson as an amazing, selfless man, and he told her, I got you, I got you, as he huddled under the table around her. Johnson's uh, girlfriend, Mandy Pfeiffer, says that they had been dating for three years and were planning on getting married. Pfeiffer didn't realize confirmation of Johnson's death for 12 hours. Pfeiffer says she isn't surprised at all by Johnson's actions. Pfeiffer visited a memorial around the corner from the shooting Monday. She said her fellow grief counselors from the city of Los Angeles crisis response team are in the area helping victims Johnson will be buried in Georgia next to his father, who Piper said also died trying to save a co-worker more than 30 years ago. So 45-year-old Shannon Johnson, you are the hero of the day, as is your father, by the way. How amazing. Father-son duo, both dying trying to save the lives of co-workers. That, my friends, is what a true blue hero is, right? Man, and again... It's out of those intense situations that heroes appear, but they can also appear in the day-to-day. I'm sure every one of us had the opportunity to be a hero for another person, to lift their lives, to just be there, to maybe pick up a tab, to maybe pay it forward, to offer support, a smile maybe, maybe just less judgment. Please, as the holiday seasons are coming, let's look after each other. Let's take care of each other. Again, we can't do this show without you, but we we do it in order to help you feel better and find the solutions you need in life. We'll be back again Monday, folks, for more ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. Until then, watch out for each other. 
and uh, make it a great one. We'll talk again Monday.